This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. Because he had so much to gain and had such a material motive. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we're back with another Q&A. Slogging through uh, the the dense thickets of the end of 2021. Yeah, I was noticing that some of these questions were like asked by like deleted user. (laughs) It's like, well, I hope you hear this wherever you are out there, deleted user, whoever you are. RIP deleted user. Yeah. Yeah, um, No, definitely. But we are not going to abandon your question. No, we're not. Yeah. That is it will the be SK honored. Promise. It will be honored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we have we have some good ones today and some big ones today. For those who don't know, if you uh, subscribe to the Alwar Frequency at patreoncom jihad and you sign up to our Discord server in the question sub tab, you will find a place where you can ask us questions. And we're working with a very incredible backlog. <laughs> Yeah, I think as we reference it at takes the top us so of every long to these. answer a single question but that that's because we're we really, running several years behind. Yeah, we we certainly you know go into go it. In. We don't, and we answer. We've been answering all of them. You know, we never mm-hmm. like switch to a system where we're gonna pick. You know, we stuck to our original commitment for good. Or Everybody for gets in eventually. Yeah. Everyone gets in eventually. Yeah. Yes, everyone gets into the the Grotto Club. Um. So yeah so we're moving through that's why our questions are from december 2021 but you know in true synchronistic fashion they often circle around and they pop up at just the right time for whatever's going on at the moment so i guess you know without further ado let's uh jump in right yeah this first one is like long and has commentary in addition to being a question well do you want to read it because you know sure listenable voice um (laughs) more text so Okay, all right, this is a long one, but all right. Library Raccoon asked on December 5th, 2021, curious what your takes are on geoengineering. I've listened to almost all of SJ and can't remember it coming up. I find it interesting how the practice of weather modification is real and well-documented, yet somehow popularly lumped into the most maligned category of idiotic conspiracy thinking. I'm curious how far the technology has come since cloud seeding in the 40s, Operation Popeye, etc., and how it plays into, or is altogether censored from, discourse around climate change today, beyond occasional solar radiation management murmurs and sympathetic articles from the Gates crowd. 
The corporations behind it, the multi-use applications of it, even the long and short-term goals and scope of the technologies being used, everything seems intentionally buried in murky susness. It's odd that it's completely written off while also officially recognized in local and national government's agricultural and climate plans, and no mention of it, not even for a positive PR spin, being used to fight the ridiculous fires we've seen in recent years. Sorry to clog the feed if this has been addressed on an episode I missed, but one more thing. I was thinking about popular conspiracy figures who went into this subject. Dane Wigington of geoengineeringwatch.org, Matt Landman, Elena Freeland, most recent book titled Geoengineer Transhumanism, How the <laughs> Environment Has Been Weaponized by Chemicals, Electromagnetics, and Nanotechnology for Synthetic Biology. Not going to lie, I'm curious. And okay. Nick Begich, who in 1997 wrote Angels Don't Play This Harp, Advances in Tesla Technology. On the note of Nick Begich Jr., a whole tangent opened up for me last night, one that for some reason reminded me of something Dimitri would likely crack open. I'd never heard of it, and it's insane. From Nick Begich Sr.'s wiki, in 1962, Begich was elected to the Alaska Senate, where he served for eight years. In 1970, Begich ran again for the seat and was now successful by defeating the Republican banker Frank Murkowski, who later served as a U.S. senator and then as governor of Alaska. I believe his daughter, Lisa, is the senator today, right? Mm-hmm. And in 1972, for his reelection, Begich was opposed by Republican state Senator Don Young. Posthumously, Begich won the 1972 election with 56% to Don Young's 44%. However, after Begich was declared dead, a special election was held. Young won the seat and is still in the position. And they write, reason for the posthumous election win. Oh, and this actually, funny, kind of, it circles back to and the first question on our last Q&A. Yeah, I was just thinking, 16th, like, it's yep, interesting, I, the resonance the sounded, here, yeah, well, hmm. synchronicity. On October 16th, 1972, Begich and House Majority Leader Hale Boggs of Louisiana were two of the four men on board a twin-engine Cessna <laughs> 310 when the airplane disappeared during a flight from Anchorage to Juneau. Also on board were Begich's aide, Russell Brown, and the pilot, Don Johns. J-O-N-Z, that's a funny name. Yeah, uh, the four like were the, heading... Yeah. yeah, Don John, like, okay. The four were heading to a campaign fundraiser for Begich. After proceeding for 39 days, the air search was suspended. Neither the airplane nor any of its four occupants were ever found. All were declared dead on December, ni- December 29, 1972. In November 2015, a Seattle Weekly story detailed the work of journalist Jonathan Walchak who since 2012 has investigated the plane crash and subsequent events in an effort to determine the fate of the flight that carried Begich and Boggs. Walchek created a podcast about Begich's disappearance, which was released by iHeartMedia in the summer of 2020. The podcast, called Missing in Alaska, explored the idea that FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover or the Tucson Mafia had assassinated Hale Boggs. Just had to throw that out there. Thanks. Y'all rule. Wow. So a yeah. lot there. Yes, um, big yeah. question, big comment. Yeah, you'd Oof. think, I feel like with the frequency that like people die in Cessna crashes like in American politics, I feel like I feel like I should know someone who died in a Cessna crash, you know? <laughs> like it seems like it happens so often that like everyone should have like at least one person in their social circle who died that way. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's and it's weird that like in yeah. Alaskan history too, I think Senator, Sted, Senator Ted Stevens more recently died in a plane crash as well. 
so it's like that state has two senators in the last like 50 years that, um, or was he a congressman? I forget. But either way, two people in Congress uh, have died in sort of sus plane crashes. And Hale Boggs, of course, as we discussed, was a member of the Warren Commission who had started to question some of you know, the conclusions uh, around the assassination and stuff. And then, boom, his plane disappears. I actually didn't know it was never found. It just vanished. Missing 4 and one mm. Yeah, right. missing in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. So that's... I, I didn't know about Hoover, the Tucson Mafia. You don't hear a lot about the Tucson Mafia, do you? You know, no. But I guess <laughs> they're out there, I ah, guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but going back to the original question, this actually is interesting, and I feel like maybe we, we've planned on getting to it someday, but I think Library Raccoon actually sums up the vibes around geoengineering yeah, materials discourse it's very interesting. well. Yeah, definitely. Like, like for something that is, to some extent, a real scientific and engineering thing that's real, like cloud seeding and certain kind of weather modification technologies like they do exist but then why is it that well, I it's feel like so it, shit coded yeah it's weird like it changed within our own lifetime i feel like like i feel like i watch like the harp thing go from being like that's wacky or like a sort of like a, a nazi like wonder uh weapon type of thing you know to uh being just like you know something that is a well, well, I guess not well acknowledged, but at least an acknowledged fact that there are certain like technologies that can allow you to, yeah, seed clouds, manipulate the weather. Yeah. Use the ionosphere and stuff, which can kind of create storm cycles, hypothetically. I mean, the people that would acknowledge, like the Erm Lords would say, right. that, well, yes, harp exists, but like it doesn't do anything that the crazy conspiracy there is to say it does. And that might be true in a lot of cases that but but like we know that it is a real thing up in alaska right yes and like the ability to manipulate the weather has like greatly improved it seems like obviously Mm -hmm. i feel like our awareness of like what is possible is always like trailing behind like you know the, the people who are developing these technologies like significantly but you know it still has like made dramatic like leaps like the just like cloud seeding like what you mentioned that is something that was not really like in the public awareness or like, you know, was known to be possible or conceivable. Like when I was young, mm-hmm. like the idea that you could make it rain, that was like sort of sci-fi. Or, um, or prevent it from raining. Wasn't there, I don't know if this is ever actually proven, but I remember there being a lot of talk around the 2008 Beijing Olympics that the government used cloud seeding technology to like blast away all the smog in Beijing and also make sure that it like didn't rain and other like yeah, to protect I'm not sure basically was, and clean was up the, the weather. Same thing as cloud seeding, it, uh, like but like um, or they dropped some kind of particulate kind of in the smog that sort of dissipated it or some they were using some kind of cutting edge technique to clear the skies up. Yeah, I guess what they and, tried to do was make the clouds rain beforehand, right? Rather not disperse them because they claim not to be able to do that. But they wanted to like kind of bring the uh, bring the clouds to a head like before they got to like the Olympic area, so that they wouldn't rain on the Olympics. Um, yeah. Good way, cheap way to clean the city too. You know, yeah, Just give it a good um, wash, right? I guess, um, yeah. Uh, and I then mean, I remember that it's obviously useful uh, in many ways. Uh, but, yeah, uh, and I remember there was a public comment that the sort of chemtrails crowd definitely jumped on maybe around 2014 or 2015 when CIA director John Brennan 
was testifying to Congress. I forget about what exactly, but he made some kind of casual mention about, I think he used the term geoengineering and just kind of said, well, you know, maybe some of these technologies could be very useful for national security purposes. Like some kind of comment like that. And everyone was like, oh, my God, whoa. He like admitted that, you know, and he's kind of saying that maybe we should think about using these things. So to that, to, to people that were already very noited about this, that seemed like a pretty, you know, open acknowledgement that the government is way deeper into this than they let on. And yet, chemtrails are one of those things where well you yeah bring it up, that's what i was gonna like, say it's like people a are really gonna of, look at you like you're a fucking schizo right that's what i was gonna say it's like kind of like there's different kind of levels of the weather modification like discourse like it's kind of pre-existed like the current status quo with weather modification and like there's definitely like a lot of stuff in that world that you know is like very much at a variance with like what is acknowledged uh, as possible right now. I guess cloud seeding technically is chemtrails. However, like it's not really what um, people mean when they talk about chemtrails most of the time. Well, that that's the thing. And actually, I wanted to get into this a little bit because um, because Library Raccoon did mention you know some of the popular conspiracy figures who dive into this stuff and i think maybe the biggest one is geoengineeringwatch.com or .org mm-hmm. geoengineeringwatch.org so i went on and i watched most of i think this is their most recent what they call a groundbreaking documentary uh, which is called the dimming exposing the global climate engineering cover up mm-hmm. and you can find this on youtube and i i think i said to you uh, last night when i put it on like the intro is oh yeah i remember you saying that i forgot to watch it but yeah anyway maybe you can describe it uh, i mean there's a certain vibe to like (laughs) chemtrails videos that is just like all these like this this montage of like kind of yeah like technical patent kind of blueprints of like various engines and stuff like dispersal system five nine seven five it's like And then within like a minute, like Catherine Austin Fitz pops up and I'm like, oh, oh let's go. Let's yeah, fucking let's go. go. All yeah. right. <laughs> and, you know, it brought it, it, it reminded me of a lot of things we talked about with Catherine Austin Fitz, where like on the one hand, like sometimes she'll say stuff that's like very interesting and kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. Like these elites, like, wow, they're rigging this, you know, <laughs> this and that and blah, blah, blah. But then she always like more quietly, she kind of remember, I think it was in our reptoid episode where yeah, she, she talked about a reptoid uh, or with like R. James Woolsey, the former CIA director. Yeah. She yeah, refused yeah, yeah. the offer to meet the reptoid. Yeah. I think it was right. like the Georgetown Institute or something. We looked into them. They're very sus. Like, it was, it, that's a very like, bizarre story. But yeah, she she's she claimed it. Yeah. And when I said that, when I tell people, people like this is one of those situations. People are like, no, she didn't say that. It's like, who was claiming this? This seems like a, a hack job or something. It's like, well, she said that. Like, she claimed it. She wrote about we it. We dug it up. Yeah, yeah, we found the article like on yeah. our blog where it was years a very ago. Weird story. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you have a grain of salt with Catherine Austin Fitz. Like, you know, and but you know, she's very sold on. The, I had forgotten also that she was in kind of you know doing work with like the geoengineering kind of movement people as well. And this documentary looks older. It, it, maybe it was kind of updated, but it looks, it has a very early 2010s vibe to it. It doesn't feel like it came out 
in the last few years, but yeah, you know, could be. I mean, wrong. that's that's a vibe. That's like the OG conspiracy documentary vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, in plain sight, uh, loose yeah, change. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I think a few years. I think maybe about five years ago, there was one that made a splash called uh, "What on Earth Are They Spraying?" <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and then the sequel, "Why on Earth Are They Spraying?" Wow. Um, on top of that, well, I mean, but it's also like I. I've always been kind of on the fence about like chemtrails to be perfectly honest like because and you know what I look up in the sky in Los Angeles and some days it's like (laughs) what the fuck is that Um, like they don't dissipate I get it that like sometimes they go through cold weather and there's contrails but like sometimes these things do exactly as like these people in the documentary assert like they very slowly dissipate into a hazy cloud cover and it seems like all these like jets are like crisscrossing the sky doing it at like a specific it just has a way and then you see videos where it's like very prominent and i mean that's one thing right it's like kind of like ufos is there something in the sky that we see that seems weird okay i mean you could Mm -hmm. go down the whole route of no it's totally normal contrail shut the fuck up like Blah, I mean, blah, I don't blah, think blah. I've ever seen like a plane. I, I rarely see planes that don't leave some kind of like contrailer. You know, I see them all the time. Like, I know, I yeah. th- like during the daytime. Like mm-hmm. I, I see plenty of planes flying from like LAX yeah. or Burbank. I, I, that I say like I, I almost never see one that doesn't. Uh, oh, you don't? You see them that don't have them? You mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I live in a yeah. hotter climate, so like yeah, maybe. It, maybe it's more common to see it in cold winter. But then I also do sometimes see. Like on particular days, and who knows, it could be weather conditions, could be a total normal scientific thing for it. But um, but also because there is a documented history, like I said, like Operation Popeye and other covert operations that started in the 40s, like doing experiments with cloud seeding and weather manipulation. There's no reason why the government wouldn't be experimenting with this stuff. I and kind of doubt that they the would use is. like commercial aircraft for that, though. Well, I think what these people claim, I think, they, maybe they claim that commercial ones do it sometimes, but I think they mostly claim this is military craft that are, like, unmarked, kind of, you know, planes that, like, from, you know, from the ground, thousands of miles away, like, you couldn't tell if it was a commercial airliner or okay, okay. just a regular jet that was, like, unmarked from the military. And right, they have, maybe. like, switchers that go on and on. Like, they have all these videos, like, see, he switched it on. He switched it on. Okay. Like, there's no contrail, and then it started. All right. And stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. That, yeah. There's all that. I mean, there is a track record of, like, doing that, uh, even over American cities. I want to say, like, Kansas City, Missouri, or St. Louis had some kind of nefarious project uh, back in maybe the, the 50s, and, like, a bunch of people got cancer. They were, like, doing a weird specific experiment with, like, almost like bio agents or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's like spraying like toxic chemicals out of planes, like definitely has occurred before. It's definitely not the made up thing, like either in like a war context or like, yeah, or like, yeah, like crop dusters. Yeah, have also like sprayed things that were toxic and like harmful to people, uh, you know, that were like approved and... Uh, so a lot one of thing people I knew think, what they were being sprayed with, but they didn't know the dangers of it. Exactly. Um, so I, I feel like I feel like immediately I want to separate it from the category of like, even though sometimes maybe these people come off a little bit really schizo, that I want to separate it from the category of like flat earth or, you know, even some of the UFO stuff. Because like this is... I would definitely I mean, set it apart from flat earth. 
Because because it, it, it yeah. like we're talking about something that like technologically humans are capable of doing. The real question well, is, yeah, like, I mean, are they cloud doing seeding it? technically is more or less what people claim chemtrails have to do. Honestly, I didn't even know that chemtrails were supposed to primarily be for weather modification. I guess that makes sense. And probably honestly, like any kind of like jet like really is that's the thing like i remember we recently talked well, i think we were doing a, a question about von der vogels and like the environmental movement and we talked a little about climate change and some people in the comments were saying like oh you need to get annoyed about the idea of climate change like you know you need to realize like this is geoengineering and i was reading that and i was thinking like well how different really is like are these two ideas like i one is like okay the like powerful people, powerful forces are like deliberately modifying the climate with technology. Um, That's a good point. And the Actually, other, yeah. it's really the same exact premise. And both kind of recognize that climate change is occurring, but I guess it's just kind of like I don't know this this technicalities of like how it's being done, or maybe like the. I mean, I feel like at this point, climate change. Like even, you know, your most sort of like lib, normie, mainstream narrative of climate change, you can't really entertain the idea that it's like not deliberate or like that it's like unwitting, you know, like maybe it's not like malicious or like, you know, it's not like for some kind of a sinister purpose, like other than like there, there's an there's a purpose that is uh, orthogonal or ancillary to destroying the climate. That's like a means to an end, you know, like they're making doing, money. Right. Yeah. Making money. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Whereas it's actually, like they're sickos and they want to destroy the yeah, climate. Yeah. It's actually but I also kind of feel like they're not as incompatible as they seem because no, if they really sure. actually, cared, then, you know, it's uh, almost like the primary distinction between those two camps, as different as they seem, is that like one camp is arguing for like the blowback theory of climate change and the other like like satanic conspiracy satanic conspiracy cabal is doing it yes and i think that you know there's a middle ground between those two things that like real i think i think that really the truth is like somewhere in the middle like uh, where it's just like oh complete blowback like people are just like oblivious you know and like they but i think that some people are like well I don't care. I think on some level, like, you know, there are people who like choose to disbelieve in the climate change. And like, you know, people can say like, oh, the climate, the climate always changes. That is true. The climate always has. Well, I think actually in our next question, like uh, we'll talk about a civilization that is uh, thought to have disappeared due to like, you know, changes in the climate. But I think that it's not even like something where, as I've said before, I'm not a scientist, not an engineer. So like evaluating this stuff, like it's purely based on my own experience. (laughs) You know, like this is like the same way that like you have people being like, how can you say there's climate change when there's snow up to my mailbox? I'm the opposite type of like dumbass where I'm like, well, it's really hot. <laughs> it's getting a lot hotter. I've experienced it. So, you know, it seems like this is really happening. Um, well, yeah. And like for yeah. me, the whole like distinction between like, oh, you know, they're just like ignoring this and they're like deliberately making it to happen, like causing it to happen doesn't seem that material because if they really cared, then they wouldn't do it, you know? So obviously they feel like, and I think that, you know, uh, I think it's very that they feel like they're not going to be affected. You know, the the most powerful people feel like they're not going to be affected and they're going to get away with it, which like is probably true because they're going to build their little Mars bubbles or they're going to build their air conditioned chambers or like, you know, where everyone else, you know, people who have of less means are going to suffer from this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I really feel like and to go back to the original point, 
in that respect, like all jets have chemtrails because like they, you know, exude. They all pollute. Yeah, exactly. They pollute like Taylor's jet, uh, like mm-hmm. dumps tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, et cetera. So and that's that a chemical. A uh, or uh, don't they say that's element. one of the most pernicious um, types of kind of, you know. Uh, a compound, uh, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But basically just the volume of jets flying around like for 60, 70 years is that like definitely contributes. really not helping. Yeah. Well, you know what? What's really interesting about this documentary, the dimming, that surprised me a little bit, is because, given where I normally associate chemtrails, people on the whole political spectrum, I actually expected them to be more like climate change is fake, and they're manipulating the weather to psyop everybody into saying that like climate change is real. So that they can do like, you know, social engineering and blah, 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 and make a bunch of money, et cetera, like typical globalist, whatever. But that's actually not the argument they make in this documentary. In fact, all these people are kind of like very hardcore environmentalist types and global and like climate change believers. In fact, they think that climate change is worse than kind of the ruling class is letting on about. And again, if this documentary was from like 2012, then maybe that explains why they're taking this line of argument. Because now the ruling class seems like on the one hand, like performatively obsessed with climate change, but in like kind of an insincere and selective kind of way. But what they're saying is like, no, it's way worse than the elites are and the governments of the world are telling us. And actually all this whole chemtrail thing over the last like two decades is kind of a covert program that multiple countries are kind of doing uh, for their own reasons, I guess, to basically like do like solar dimming, like to uh-huh. dim the sun, to slow down climate change. So it gives them either like, in fact, Bill Gates said this at like some TED talk that's in the documentary. Like there's a lot of like weird Silicon Valley freaks like saying things that sound incriminating that are, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, they're interested in geoengineering. I like re- the early actually 2010s. remember the sun blocking Bill Gates proposal because I remember yeah, yeah. exactly what they do in the movie The Matrix. Um, yeah, like The Simpsons or something when like uh, Mr. Burns blocks out the sun. Like, you know, like, well, yeah. you know, there are geoengineering ways where we could spray particulates in the atmosphere and that could, you know, buy us about 20 or 30 years until we can get our act together. Yeah. Like that's, and that's really what he Similar said. Similar to cloud seeding, I feel like, I, I feel like there's a I have a strong sense that spraying a bunch of stuff like into the atmosphere to try to like dim the sun would be like the classic sort of like I played God situation Self-known. where like the effects of it would be like not good for the environment, like or not worth it, you know, rather than Wasn't there another movie where I forget what it was I think wasn't it Snowpiercer where that was like the setup of the movie was that they tried to like dim the sun or something like that. Yeah. And then it like went horribly wrong and like unleashed like a world. Yeah. A crazy ice age. The main one I remember because the robots ran on solar power. So they thought that like getting rid of the sun would like destroy them but it's that you know it backfired That's there was weird. blowback like and they decided to use human beings uh-huh. as a power source oh um, interesting i forgot about yeah. that backstory to the matrix uh, oh yeah. interesting so they <laughs> that's funny actually uh, it does kind of make sense but so i was surprised that like throughout this they're not debunking that climate change is happening in fact like they're saying it's worse 
than what you would normally hear about. Like it's actually going to like they said, you know, the polar ice caps are melting. Like the the web of life is like that under is interesting. Threat. I and these yeah. psychos are going to destroy the whole natural ecosystem, and because they're going to be able to survive, and I guess they're bubble cities or whatever. And in the meantime, but then it kind of also like veers into they're just their sickos territory where like this is the most like evil thing that's happened since like the atomic bomb was dropped like they they kind of i mean i mean they do say that like you know a lot of these things like i don't know like aluminum nanoparticles and stuff that they suspect are being sprayed are like very toxic and stuff so then it gets into kind of a territory of like they're spraying us to make us unhealthy folks like you know, and they're kind of that's why people have like mysterious diseases more and more and or maybe more cancer. So that's a little harder to like really I guess if they are spraying toxic chemicals everywhere, then like I suppose you could I mean, make yeah, a correlation. I, I feel like that's but, probably true with the like the silver or whatever they use for cloud seeding. I believe it's silver. Yes, um, yes, exactly. So I mean you could that, see that as like a byproduct like that. Yeah. I think they even they had another presentation from some TED Talk psycho that was like a geoengineer at Stanford who was saying that like he was just kind of doing a thought experiment about what if we started cloud seeding and weather manipulating to like block out the sun and blah 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 and like would people be harmed by this negatively and die um yeah but you know what people are going to die from climate change anyways so like you're just talking about different people dying than would otherwise die if we just let it run its course so you know he's talking in this very kind of psycho utilitarian right. language of like you're doing trade-offs either way so why can why not manipulate all the weather and and stuff and you know that i mean that's a little that's a little bit of a creepy way to think uh I, yeah I think. it's kind of a trolley problem thing like if you do pull the lever everyone's gonna die from like your cloud like technology and if you don't pull the lever then everyone's gonna die from climate change you're, yeah you're, like, everyone's gonna die either way we just can't escape well, it and or so, yeah like we just like, need to buy ourselves time so that we can build like you know better air con like i don't know whatever the <laughs> hell like so that we can build our quote-unquote martian bubble cities and then or like, more cynically till up. they'll all be dead um, in 40 years so they won't oh, yeah, have to deal true. with it well uh not not if you ask them they, a lot of them want to live forever uh, too true but true, once they're true. computer once they're in a computer then they won't be affected by the the sun until it starts to damage their fiber optics or whatever Good but point. uh neither here nor there so I don't know. I, I mean, it does make, I have to say, like, over the last few years, we've experienced some very strange weather patterns. And I'm personally, though I'm not like, I'm not saying, oh, it's, it's all bullshit or whatever. But, you know, like these f wildfires that were in Canada and then just blanketed the United, like the northern United States from coast yeah, to coast with like toxic quality. smoke. Yeah, that's and the horrible basically air what quality. all the chemtrails people have been talking about. And in a well, way, yeah. it's true. It's very interesting because, like, it's basically, like, undisputedly true, but, like, just, like, the technicalities of it, like, shift around a little bit. Like, did we all get, like, is the air quality bad because, like, you know, apparently commercial aircraft are, like, spraying some kind of chemical? Or is oh. it because, like, over a long time, like, we've been spraying, like, uh, you know, dangerous chemicals into the atmosphere and CO2 and pollutants? that have like caused the earth to like heat or the climate and the climate to become unstable. And then that results in like forest fires catching more easily and being harder to put out. And then like the air quality is horrible. Like, you know, it's yeah. Like, yeah, I know what you mean. The like, effect is it, like the same, but the technicalities steps, but the are same. different. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's it still, it strikes me. And also the, the wildfires I remember very well from California over the last few years 
and just how like like though see the stuff that happened in New York was like oh one day it's really bad and then a few weeks later there was one day that was really bad in California it was like that 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 shit was that way in Northern California for like a month like you it was like you couldn't and if you walked outside you felt it breathing in the air like you had to like it was probably a good idea to wear a mask on some of those days because like the air quality was very shitty and there were these fine little particulates floating around and everything Damn. and it just like but every time I, I can ask like what's up with that and people go no climate change and it's like okay like climate change so like what we can't do anything about it like it's just climate like i i'm, I'm a little unsatisfied by that answer because it's like well it co would cause uh, like a large it would require like a large-scale transformation the way that we live that would then like make us vulnerable to like our geopolitical enemies such as china you know so we need to like continue to like you know as you said in a previous episode like the largest polluter in the world is the u.s military so mm -hmm. like that would be like you know target number one in terms of like yeah. you know reducing uh you know emissions and, and pollutants so but they're like, essential workers but we can't get rid of that yeah exactly because then we're gonna get you know attacked by Putler or whatever so we just all like all the you know proles need to just die you know it's actually interesting i was uh very fortuitously maybe you saw it too because it was in the la times so i saw an article today about you know there's uh, the writers and the actors are, are on strike now uh, in hollywood and uh I guess there's like a picket line happening on some stretch of, of road. I mean, you would know better than I because I don't really live in the area. But, Is this uh, a universal? Maybe. But ma the story was that like there was there were like trees that were like sort of yeah. shading the street. Mm -hmm. And then they were like sort of mysteriously like trimmed of all their leaves so that so it would be like more brutally hot. Yeah, exactly. That is um, a powerful metaphor for like labor and capital kind of like, and you know. We're gonna yeah, take your shade away. and the uses of like the weather or the like the power of the environment as like a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. Because like that's basically like kind of a primitive form of geoengineering. <laughs> like not you know uh, it's geoengineering in the sense of just like clipping the trees, but it does change the environment and it also causes picketing to be like much more difficult because of like the oppressive sunlight. So and I feel like you can maybe think about that on a macro scale. Like, maybe, like, having people be, like, kind of, like, you know, oppressed uh, under, like, horrible climate issues and weather is good. I mean, look, like, if we had a catastrophe like COVID, for a lot of the most powerful people in society, that was, like, a huge payday. And it was great for them. It so, was. And like, remember, maybe like, a lot of them are looking twice at climate change now. Like, huh, is it so bad if people are too hot to, like, get mad? Is it too I bad always, people are, like, you I, know? I thought, I thought um, that from relatively early on. I remember some people had pointed out, like, on, on Twitter, you know... What is the Latin root of the word conspire, conspire, breathing together? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. The, like they outlawed, you know, breathing together is like now a crime. Like so conspiring mm -hmm. against like the rulers is now a crime kind of yeah. thing. And, and, and just the broader. And also they'll be the only ones who are breathing together uh, when the air quality is so bad that no one else can breathe. <laughs> but uh, they get to eat at the equivalent of like the French laundry restaurant in Napa while their servants have to wear like gas masks or something yeah like that. and shock or, collars to stop yeah. them from resisting um and you know rising up uh stop their mercenary uh yeah you know bodyguards so that, that's another aspect too yeah because yeah. we've talked about climate change before i think even recently about how the ruling class kind of uh, appointing themselves as the vanguard of the people that are going to save us from climate change is something i'm a little bit skeptical of and like you know like Rory Kennedy and Eileen Getty, like funding the whole Greta 
like movement and the the throwing soup at paintings kind of shit and like the Rockefeller Brothers fund like investing in renewable energy and shit I just yeah, don't you do kind of wonder kind of trust it like um, it is odd that like the leader that they chose and I you know I believe that Greta like you know was passionate about it but it is interesting that they chose Greta like for a leader because I feel like she's so vulnerable to being like rejected. She's not like a very strong leader for the climate movement. Like, you know, she's a strong per like, you know, I'm not saying anything bad per se about Greta herself, who was like a child when all this started, you know, but it's kind of like you'd think that it would be more persuasive if this were coming from an adult. I mean, I get Maybe the whole idea of like you stole my South. future or things like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, someone and yeah, like it just to. Uh, but that was you part of the whole appeal is that she was, a, the, she was a child. So I get like, it. I get it. But you can and you I guess that's stand there and let this like watch this yeah. child suffer and do nothing like, you know, is that kind of thing. But it, watching how that like kind of the way that that backfired and like the discourse around Greta, like kind of like cemented itself. You almost wonder, mm -hmm. like, I mean, maybe that was a miscalculation, but maybe and it's similar to like the soup on painting thing where like. Yeah, usually, like, the painting is, like, fine because they're, like, behind glass and everything. Like, this doesn't really damage the painting. But it, like, no one likes that everyone's, like, you destroyed, like, a priceless painting, you know, and they're, like, well, it's got your attention. But if they're being funded by the Gettys, I think it says before, like, then they already have the attention of, like, very powerful people. So, like, it seems like yeah. the getting attention phase has passed. And, like, this is actually yeah. going to just make people get angry because they, you know, they think you ruined a painting or, like, they just feel it's ineffectual. So you almost wonder, like, you know, and this is definitely a documented thing, right? It's like the sort of Hillary Trump maneuver where they're mm -hmm. like, oh, boost, or the Pritzker's favorite trick, right? Literally like, funding the most MAGA, like, Republican people that he can go up against yeah, to, like, because they, exactly. they'll get discredited. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, this will weaken, you know, the opposition to have, like, these be the sort of most powerful forces, right? Like, yeah, fund the sort of, uh, quote-unquote, subversive, I wouldn't necessarily, like, you know, or fund the sort of weaker forces within your opposition or the ones you think you can beat in order to mm -hmm. destabilize it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, so even the, you kind of do wonder that after, like, you know, with the way that like the popular discourse is seized upon, like some of these, like the way the climate movement is regarded in the popular discourse now, have the have the billionaires and like the the f allegedly former like you know oil magnates, uh, the mm -hmm. quote unquote divested, prove it, please. Like, let's see it. Let's see you it, know, yeah. let's see the let's see the portfolio. The divested oil people, you know, have they actually like fought like against have they like because you can say like oh well, you know there's so much money from the people who are invested in oil that is like trying to create the perception that like climate change is happening etc cetera, etc cetera. like it's you know uh it's all made up but what i do know is that a lot of uh, on the opposite like, side have they like fought that like no they're, they're the oil invested people or the people who are invested in you know fossil fuels etc are still like winning and in fact you could say that like the climate movement like you know aspects of it like are useful to them from a certain point of view, is that known? Did they realize that or did they miscalculate? You can't really say, but like, it's just like, well, you'd think since y there are billionaires who are supposed to be climate conscious at this point, that they would be able to like maybe move the needle a little bit, but the needle doesn't seem to be moving. No. <laughs> um, and and I'd be willing to bet that probably your average Extinction Rebellion activist, who is being paid, by the way, 400 pounds a week in the UK to go and like, you know, stop traffic on the highway or. Uh, shut down like the metro and things like that all things which pissed a lot of people off probably most of those people 
you know, we're not in on any kind of evil billionaire op, like consciously, and thought they were like totally doing the right thing, and this is so important. But you always got to look at the people that are running and funding these orgs and see like what is their incentive, you know. And then when you look at the other person that co-funded like Extinction Rebellion and the Greta thing, there's Eileen Getty, Rory Kennedy, RFK Jr.'s sister, and then Trevor Nielsen, who had worked for Bill Clinton in the White House. He had worked, he was like the director of special projects for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, worked with some other org with like Ted Turner and George Soros. And most significantly, he had founded a company with like a couple of former CIA officers called Threat Pattern, which was like a corporate reputation management firm for Wall Street companies that was like particularly designed to like defend the reputation of corporate brands and shit like that. And that was like only a couple years before he just woke up one day and decided that he was going to bankroll Extinction Rebellion and take this big generous role, you know, like showering them with money. And it's like, wow, like, you know, if he had been hired by like Chevron and Shell on like a reputation management contract and then like bankrolled, like, like it would be like mission accomplished. You did a great job, bro. Like, you know, like he served, whether he even thought about it or not, it sure seems like that kind of redounded to the benefit of the type of people that his private intelligence firm on Wall Street, like, would be hired by to do shit like that. Like, even yeah. do sneaky shit on the internet with social media and, like, take it too far to the point where people go, oh, this is too cringe. Like, I just can't, you know... Uh, it re reminds just... me, honestly, a lot of Occupy in many ways. The way that, like, they were kind of characterized. Like, they're not serious. Like, what are their demands? You know, which, like, all, a lot of those things, like, were true. It was, like, incredibly disorganized. Like, there were a lot of, like, you know, elements within Occupy that had, like... Uh, very diverse ideas, some of which, like, uh, <laughs> the average person wouldn't get behind. Justin you know? Tunney's yeah, Justine, monarchism, Exactly, maybe? yeah, monarch, <laughs> yeah, um, mold buggyan like, uh, monarchism, but it's, it's very similar, where, like, people sort of see it in the same way, where it's, like, you know, immature, like, sort of laughable, you know, to use the term used last time, just, like, registration of disgust, but... Once you kids Rather start than, paying taxes, you'll understand. Yeah, that and that's not like how, yeah, exactly. Like that's not sort of the associations that you would want concern about the environment and like the, the change in the environment and its, its, you know, its consequences to have. You know, you would want it to be seen like, you know, very yeah. seriously. If, so you know, I, if uh, I were Eileen Getty and this mattered to me, then I would like be, and I were thinking about like optics, that's something that I would want to, pivot away from you know i would be wanting to like get yeah i want to i'd probably be more focusing honestly people can criticize this as well but like i think that like maybe some scientists you know like some get some scientists who are good communicators like try to cultivate people like that that would be a good place to start you know maybe not the best idea like maybe you know get i feel like joe rogan the, or they something. Could, yeah, yeah yeah they could come yeah i feel like you know if you had a good science communicator you could convince joe rogan to like believe in climate change and you could even take the chemtrails angle on it, you know, like uh, to like meet them, meet them halfway, halfway or something, you know, get creative. Like, aren't these supposed to be the creative sort of people that you're hiring, like these sort of reputation management firms, stuff like that? Like, sure. but yet, why would they put all their money into like these types of people who are like reviled and like viewed as like hippies or unserious and like every sort of negative stereotype about the environmental movement? It's weird, you know, it's and like I'm in not the saying 60s that when, like, it's Billy not Mellon like Hitchcock just her being dumb, but like, 
Yeah, like it could just be her being dumb, but I just feel like, you know, Eileen Getty, if you're listening, um, that's my <laughs> advice, you know, like, uh, I'm, you know, maybe my sort of embryonic idea wasn't, was, isn't the, the best approach, but I feel like that would be, you know, uh, better than what you're doing. Um, um, first, like expose your family and in, in all. Yeah, its let's sort of see detail. it. Well, first, yeah, number one, let's see your divestment. Like, prove it. I want you know. Uh, yeah, that's a good yeah. PR move. Let's like you know, let's at least see like some kind of representation. You know, I need can, to see that you're divested from the spider world. Basically, yeah, prove that you're divested you from seriously. the spider world. Prove that there's no giant spider puppet that you're planning to unleash on <laughs> anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I I do think it's also interesting because this technology does exist in some kind of form that. For people that are so passionate about climate change and stopping it, that almost like somebody hasn't come out and tried to normalize this idea that we should spray stuff and do solar radiation and tried to like, you know, I mean, the assertion of, of these, you know, geoengineering watch people is that like they don't want to put it to a democratic vote. They just want to fucking do it in secret and then gaslight oh, yeah. all and of us. But I think that that makes sense, honestly, because people wouldn't agree to it. Dimming right, the sun? Yeah, people would be sussed out by it. Like, yeah, come yeah, on. Dimming out the sun? No one off. would, like, that no. would not pass a democratic vote. Yeah. And if they are doing that for some reason, uh, they are evil. They are sickos, whether they're like a cabal or not. Like that is kind of some sicko shit. I mean, it like, seems like that TED talk, I acknowledge that there would be like negative consequences to it. But even if there weren't, mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no case you could make for dimming the sun that would play with people. So you yeah, might as well just do it not. in secret because they certainly can. You know, it's not like we actually live in a democracy. And then, um, you know, one of those golden little nugget points that Catherine Austin Fitz did make was that if by some, you know, mechanism like HARP or like chemtrails, you could actually predictably like control the weather and unleash storms and like know exactly when advance like weather was going to change. Like think about all the money you could make. And I'm like, no. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. folks, like they're manipulating futures prices with their, well, it's with their true. weapons. It's but true, that, that, actually. You know, like that's a whole thing. Like you can mm, bet, uh, like you can you can invest in like yeah. the weather. Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Like, that's been like going on for a long futures time. Oil futures is basically like investing in the weather, more or less. It's very yeah, similar. So if you know when a hurricane is coming or wildfires, or you know, is Bill Gates above doing some version of that? Hard for me to believe. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. The guy who's blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein would never, you know, sign off on some kind of sneaky shit like this. But uh, but at the same time. I, I remain vexed because, like, it does have this tinge of, like, you're a fucking schizo if you talk about weather things. And I don't have, like, it's true, I don't have, like, hard proof. So I can't really go to the mattresses and be like, they're doing it, you know. But no. at the same time, I don't want to, like, debunk it and say, like, all these people are psycho, you know, who consider it as a possibility at all and if well, climate change is in fact as bad as like people say it is or even worse then i'm sure those conversations are being had at some level of like well that's one thing we know we could do is like we could start spraying shit in the atmosphere i mean yeah like, certainly certainly yeah and also like as you said like even if they're wrong on the technicalities like really the substance of what they're saying is correct and like about how like you know uh people are emitting things into the atmosphere like even through planes largely through planes and other forms of transportation yeah. that you know are causing the climate to to change and people to get sick as well so there's not really like the the substance of it isn't necessary like you know there, there's definitely much uh beliefs that are much more dissonant with a consensus reality or uh that type of thing but 
yeah, and in terms of dimming the sun, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that is something where, like, I mean, you know, obviously, like, we mentioned things like the Matrix where, like, it just becomes constant storms of the time or, like, you know, where the sun gets, like, blotted out and we live in, like, internal darkness or something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I could see, like, in a couple of years we found out that, like, they just did some kind of similar cloud seeding type of thing where they put, like, particles, like, you know, in the atmosphere to try to, like, mitigate the effects of global warming or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like something that could come out. So I, I definitely wouldn't uh, put it beyond the, the uh, you know, beyond the horizon of possibility at all. But, yeah, I mean, can I say that it is happening? No, but, I mean, it almost seems like, yeah, it definitely is on the table. Definitely don't also, view it as Also, like, as I mean, you'd have to have more than, like, one country kind of doing it, right? And even if you I had really every country... I don't know because I don't know, like, how, like, that type of thing works. I feel like maybe if you had like a coordinated effort by one group or like one large, you know, military industrial complex, then you mm-hmm. could transform the entire atmosphere if you deliberately wanted to. Maybe it seems like, cause you know, it's all connected. So it seems like, and it also sort if of you moves around. Spur- so again, mm, yeah. but I don't know anything cause I'm not a scientist, uh, certainly, you know, so yeah. And I haven't like researched it um yeah all, i suppose even. that there are quite a few u.s military aircraft like crisscrossing the world at all times and if you outfitted like every single one of them with a sprayer and had them always spraying then maybe you could cover like it makes me think though about like huge swaths of ocean that don't really get a lot of plane traffic like you know don't you have to saturate like uh, i'm not or does it swirl around after you that's spray what i think kind i of feel like if it, you it get enough into the up. atmosphere yeah exactly uh, yeah, it's like yeah. that's you how greenhouse gases work in theory anyway, right they just Very, yeah. Uh, yeah same with like factories like yeah, yeah you're right, right you're right it, it, it's all the same bubble um yeah so okay so, maybe, maybe. I don't it's, know. You know, it's the pale blue dot and everything. It's very fragile. Uh, Got to get so. paler. Um, they so. want us living in darkness. But no, I think interesting to like, interesting topic uh, to like, you know, if the CIA director said it might be a good idea, then I think it's it's not schizo to like keep an eye on it and see, you know, if uh, yeah. if they're either Catherine doing Austin something fits, or they're trying yeah. to do something. The Catherine Austin Fitz comment actually reminds me of... Um, that scene from the social network written by, you know, a big uh, opponent of Occupy, uh, Aaron Sorkin, you know, who famously uh, owned them. Hated in O-W-S. Uh, yeah, yes, in his amazing magnum opus, The Newsroom. You know, the scene where, like, they're talking about, I guess, his partner or something. Like, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about his partner, you know, played by Jesse Eisenberg. And he's like, uh, he made all this money, like, betting oil futures. And they're like, what? He made all that money betting oil? He's like, yeah, he likes meteorology. And he's like, but didn't he bet on oil futures? And he's like, if you can predict the weather, you can predict the price of oil. And, you know, <laughs> and like kind of this weird rapid fire Sorkin scene where he's just like, you know, but eh, apparently that's what a true story. Superpower. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah according so to Aaron Eduardo Sorkin Saverin, that shit. you know, it's apparently true. Yeah, mm. of course. Well, uh, uh, wow. We... The CIA has published dozens of international economic and energy weekly analytic reports dating back decades. Yeah, that they systematically analyze the em- energy production to reveal secrets about everything from a nation's internal stability to its real politic relationships with its neighbors. So, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Totally. Follow the energy flows, you know. Lack of capacity to provide electricity is often viewed by publics as a symptom of the weakness of a ruling regime and can encourage demonstrations and demands for regime change. So keep the electricity on until the very last moment, yeah. uh, even if it means we have to 
take turn the oh, sun I, off. I, I think they know um, that real well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why they want the electric stoves in every house, you know. So. <laughs> right, yes. Um.
song you remember too? I'm sure. I'll read this one. Okay. Uh, Pale Rider, ass on 12. Oh, Pale Rider, shout out, you know. Yeah, shout podcast. out, former guest. Uh, yeah, uh, ass on December 5th, uh, 2021. Uh, any thoughts on the Chaco Canyon? They managed to encode the complete solar and lunar cycles into their architecture. This is impressive on its own, but gets spooky when you consider there's nothing like it seen in any neighboring societies at the time. Hmm. Yeah, have you heard about this? Have you, have you seen I, I, this? Have you heard about this? Have you heard yeah. about this? <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Um, actually, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this specific site, but I'm taking a look at it. And uh, wow, pretty impressive. Yeah. Pale Rider gave a good summary. Yeah, there were the what I mentioned that they seemed to have like just abandoned it um, at some point, like or I think early in like the second millennium CE. It says here, uh, just um, reading the just reading the Wikipedia, of this place this is in New Mexico. Uh, between mm-hmm. eighty nine hundred and eleven fifty, Chaco yeah. Canyon was a major center of culture for the ancestral Puebloans. Chacoans quarried sandstone blocks and hauled timber from great distances, assembling 15 major complexes that remain the largest buildings ever built in North America until the 19th century. Evidence of archaeoastronomy at Chaco has been proposed, with the sun dagger petroglyph at Fajada Butte, a popular example. Many Chacoan buildings may have been aligned to capture the solar and lunar cycles, requiring generations of astronomical observations and centuries of skillfully coordinated construction. Climate change, interestingly, is thought to have led to the emigrations, uh, the emigration of Chacoans and the eventual abandonment of the canyon, beginning with a 50-year drought commencing in 1130. Yeah. So, yeah, it was abandoned in 1130 due to climate change. I mean... Yeah, fifty-year drought—that is uh, some climate change for Definitely. sure. Definitely, yeah. Wow, but the largest buildings in North America until the eighteen, until even after America was the United States was founded. Yeah, that—that's something. Yeah, hmm. there's other places like that where they were just like completely forgotten about. I think Angkor Wat was one of them. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was a different. Maybe it was a different place, but um, there's definitely like some sort of great city like that that just sort of was totally forgotten about and disappeared um or you know was generally like abandoned um Mm. yeah a lot of these these puebloans they had some wild architecture you know like carved into the side of the grand canyon stuff like that you know these whole cities i think made out of sandstone Mm -hmm. yeah and so i guess you know uh the hopi trace uh some of their i guess their lineage back to sort of this civilization that was around um, at Chaco, and then also, yeah, the Pueblo people as well. They have mm. oral history. They have oral accounts of their migration from Chaco and their spiritual relationship to the land. Another interesting New Mexico kind of nexus point, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I guess... New Mexico. Yeah, I can see. I mean, well, if it's in New Mexico, that's kind of close to maybe at the time, but that's kind of close to some of the sort of settled civilizations that existed like in Mexico, you know, at various times. So it kind of, you know, it's not like they were too isolated from, as Pale Rider sort of uh, mentioned, it's not like they were too isolated from any other indication of that or any such thing happening. Um, I mean, I guess the Aztec like flourishing probably wasn't until a little bit later. I'm like really know like dismal things about south and uh you know sort of a pre-columbian civilization in the americas yeah in south america and in in mexico but 
yeah, I know that's generally true that in North America there were like f- there is sort of fewer like grand cities and things like that. They say it was more kind of uh, in Central like, and South yeah. America. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, more in Central and South America. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, obviously, there's exceptions um, to that like general idea. Um, I don't even know like how true that is. You know, I think it's certainly true to a point. It seems uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong because I like have a, you know pretty dismal uh, knowledge of this in general, but it seems like, you know, even though they were, you know, maybe sort of the hub of that area or like the most significant example of that type, like, you know, having advanced astronomical knowledge and things like that in that area. I mean, that kind of makes sense in a way, because if you're a sort of a powerful culture, it's probably by virtue of there not being, you know, too many uh, competitors like around you or usually you kind of outshine your your neighbors generally. Um, that certainly helps you to become, you know, a powerful culture or civilization. So not having like a big competitor near you that also has like advanced astronomical knowledge uh, and like the ability to build like massive structures. Um, yeah. I mean, these are, these were also like highly like defensive positions. A lot of these, you know, uh, Pueblo and cities that were built in like the side of canyons and things like that. I mean, like they would be incredibly hard to attack, you know? Yeah. From a, uh, from a different uh, group or polity or something like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they're very, yeah, very, I mean, like, advanced and vast in some cases. Um, yeah. Sophisticated architecture. And, yeah, the, the astrological knowledge that's, like, baked into it is uh, very impressive. And so they must have had that knowledge for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. I wish I knew more about it. We'll have to do some more deep dives on like the history of the Americas, you know, pre Yeah, that could be interesting. I mean, it's such a, yeah, it's such like a huge topic and like area. I mean, I think because like so much of our knowledge is based on like, you know, European uh, Mm -hmm. sort of uh, disciplines and epistemologies and like uh, just kind of general like frameworks of approaching things. Like it's almost like just in general like i feel like for instance like you know you could make the whole like very well-known like well-worn like eating critique of like orientalism and you know how much that the sort of disciplination and the like purposes of orientalism have like obscured like uh, a substantive like engagement with like the uh you know knowledge of islam and how much like the sort of discourses of Islam, like in sort of Euro-American academia and popular discourses, like how much that has been, how uh, distorted those have often been and how Absolutely. instrumental they've been. And that I feel like is, Islam is a pretty accessible religion, I feel like, to people who are familiar with Christianity, like as mm-hmm. things go. And like, it, you know, obviously those, uh, there's been interactions between like the cultures of the Latin West and like the broader, like quote unquote Islamic world, like, um, you know, for uh, many, many, you know, basically since the, uh, you know, time of Muhammad, um, or very shortly thereafter, you know, um, so like what in terms of like Mesoamerican culture and like pre-Columbian civilizations in the Americas, like that knowledge is like so impoverished you know we've talked about this before where like the things like oral histories like have been uh kind of systematically disregarded and considered to be like a you know i think there was a big story recently i think i mentioned on the show before because it's interesting that like people can said that like horses or 
um, like didn't exist in the Americas like until a certain point. I think it was horses. Until Am the I right? Spanish came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's commonly um, stated. Yeah, and they thought that the idea that there like had been horses there before that was like you know recorded in oral histories was like made up and fabricated, but they actually had been there, and like evidence like has been found that horses actually did exist, and that that oral history was right you know mm. of course we had to like wait until it was vindicated by like our sort of scientific evidence in order to take it seriously and that's <laughs> illustrative of the problem but yeah, that type yeah. of thing you know that and yeah like sort of not having that sort of base of knowledge like to go from it yeah uh it, and certainly like i have not studied that area at all so i like know very little about it but like all civilizations that have disappeared, there's definitely a mystique to them and they're interesting in that way. And uh, kind of something like Easter Islands, you know, right? Like did they yeah. overproduced, I guess. That's kind of the story that you hear that they like, yeah. you know, went too hard uh, in like sort of cultivating the forest and then it became like unsustainable. Like, oh, yeah, because they were, makes you sense. know, that's that's yeah. what you hear. I don't know if that's like up to date. That could just be like, yeah, again, but no, for sure. Um, but I, I do yeah. think it definitely is like one of the biggest on tops in like the American consciousness is. And I, I think like you implicitly get kind of taught this in school a lot is that, oh, the Native Americans that were here, like they were all like hunter gatherer tribes. Like there was no quote unquote civilization, you know, when like Europeans showed up. And that's just like incredibly false. <laughs> Like yeah, definitely not on true. like multiple yeah. levels, both in terms of organize like political organization of societies, like particularly on the East Coast, which probably influenced a lot of the early, you know, settlers. But then also, yeah, architectural, astrological knowledge, like all of these other things. Yeah, technologies um, and, as well. And a lot of it was literally like burned to the ground and like literally destroyed, especially on the East Coast, you know, early on. And, mm -hmm. you know, so many of those people and were literally the, just forced I mean, to move west. The conquistadors weren't great either. Like, this is a great thing where it's no, like, you know, no, on the right wing now, it's like, oh, they were right because the Aztecs did human sacrifices. Not condoning <laughs> human sacrifices. The Aztecs, you know, were like hated by everyone around them. They were an empire, you know, like what the role that the Spanish had in like brutalizing uh, minorities and people in their, uh, on their continent and the Reconquista, for instance, you know, you can make the Aztecs were similarly brutal, but again, it's not like they were similarly brutal, right? Like it's not, and that doesn't justify the way that they acted, which was appalling even to a lot of S Spaniards of conscience th at the time. That's how mm -hmm. it's remembered as something yeah. And that was appalling because people were appalled by it then, which is really yeah. something, you yeah. know, like yeah, exactly. if you had exactly. like, you know, priests and nuns and things like that, people who probably weren't all about the Aztec religion being like, damn, like chill. They probably didn't say damn, you know what I mean? But like, they're like, uh, this is like appalling. <laughs> that really tells I mean, you a lot. And it was, I mean, it like, if you like torture someone to death <laughs> or just like, uh, absolutely brutally destroy uh, people and kill people indiscriminately uh, yeah. like yeah okay you're not like ritualistically sacrificing them but again it's one of those um, things where it's like it's kind of there's a ritual element to it where it's you're it's satanic, a spectacle honestly. of it's violence like, yeah it's like the most satanic part of like European civilization is literally all the people that like settled in the Americas because they all did the most like sicko genocidal shit like early on and just yeah. like stole land and like enslaved people or like push them out of like where they were living and like slaughtered entire, like basically reading kind of accounts of like, you know, 
whether it's like King Philip's War or like early American colonial things, it's like Phoenix program shit. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, or like, Holo- I mean, yeah, it's like not even to flippantly compared to the Holocaust, but like, no, really, it was like not more like the Einsatzgruppen Holocaust of like mm-hmm. just going around and like slaughtering people, less so like having camps and things. But I think they did even have like concentration camps of some kind. But like, you know, and and kind of deputizing like settlers to go out there. Reservations in some cases have uh, m- yeah. kind of similar function to concentration Ghettos, camps. Ghettos, you know? Yeah, certainly. You know, yeah. and... um. Not and, and like str- when people hear concentration camps, they think death camps. But we're actually like True. technically speaking, because now it's because it's with Nazis, so they think like camps. People go into showers to just be exterminated. But like, like they you know, exterminated tons like, of people, but they, yeah, they, they wouldn't bother with a them. camp. They just like go they they go yeah, out there yeah, and murder yeah. their of entire course. family yes. or something. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, and there was a lot of that. Those were the founding. Those are like you know the founding fathers, and you know also like the settlers, the pioneers, those types of people you know, that often just rolled up with uh, guns and, like, took that shit, you know, and killed everybody that was already there. And then we just bury that history in the backyard and we never talk about it and stuff. That's why there's some dark energy coursing through, like, the history of, like, you know, the United States or something. That's why I think we're still so bad at, like, talking about it or... You know, people try to cover it up. Like, so many things in the East Coast have, like, a Native American, like, a hokey Native American theme to it that was set up during, like, the Gilded Age. And, like, this is celebrating the culture of, like, the mm-hmm. Native tribes that lived in. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. But, like, what happened to like, those really, tribes? Like, yeah, like, wild like everyone's great-great-great-grandfather, like, like, slaughtered them all or something, you know? Yeah. You could probably say the same in, like, Utah and parts of the West. Like, some of those old Mormon pioneer families and stuff, like the Levitts, did similar things. And then it's just sort of not talked about. But that's some pretty, like, evil, you know, sicko shit to go out there and just not to get too Jay Sakai about it. But I was <laughs> flipping through, you know, because I, I, I don't just want to, you know, mock things without reading them. But I was flipping through his book. And, and despite certain uh, issues I had with it, you know, he... He does kind of lay out like a lot of that, you know, early settler history and just like how fucking psychotic and like bloodthirsty yeah. it was. Like Andrew Jackson. I mean, like it's yeah. the fact that he's on money is like sick. Like it's sick. Yeah. What the fuck? Absolutely. Like, no, this yeah. guy no. was fucking a monster. And whether they were doing it just for money or in the name of God because they were Puritans or whatever, there is some really dark energy off of... Uh, off of that that yeah. I think um, it's and, and really like I mean like Walter Mignolo's books like I really admire uh, I think you know he's been uh, very influential he does like a, his book The Dark Side of the Renaissance and things like that I think that he's done a lot of interesting work and in talking about how like that period of time like the sort of uh, the discovery uh, the discovery by, by Europe of the Americas like mm-hmm. how that like really is like a major like epistemological like sociological like pivot uh, into like you know like the invention of like genocide like as we know it you know like the, well, it's, it's interesting because uh, we think technologies yeah, yeah. And these ideas yeah that uh, e- like and like you can see how like all these like the sort of is ought distinction and things like that like the sort of sinister aspects of like the late renaissance and the enlightenment and all the things that were justified under these like sort of uh, rationalistic uh, ideas 
Like, mm -hmm. there's certainly an instrumentality to them, and they're certainly not separate from the material circumstances in which they emerged. <laughs> they yeah, definitely yeah. function to justify a lot of things. You well, know? It's fascinating that, like, you, you brought up, I think what sent me on this tangent was you bringing up that, like, there were Spaniards of conscience at the time that thought that this was, like, absolutely shocking and disgusting, and were like, what the fuck? And I think that's, like, actually an interesting distinction to point out that like the european like peasants like living on the european continent yeah sure they might have like you know got drafted to fight in some wars or something like that but if they didn't go to like the new world or directly kind of interface with the economy of the new world like they're just like farmers or like craftspeople or something like that and like they the, there's there's no going around slaughtering people to steal land and like become yeah. a landowner. I mean, if they're peasants, thing, they're like, farmers. I guess kind of crafts people. Not really, you know. Like maybe they do a little bit of crafting. Yeah, artisans yeah. are a bit above peasants usually. Um, but a yeah. little bit. But even yeah. those classes. I mean, the, to be sure, I'm sure that like the sort of imperial economies of some of these countries were like indirectly benefiting from the commodities that they were getting and things like that. But still, you know, to have it normalized in your culture that sometimes you might just have to grab your muskets and go out and like slaughter an entire Indian village and like just take their land, like. Or, or like trick one tribe into like attacking another tribe and then kill all those people and, and which is like routinely happened you know or or just enslave like an entire tribe and ship them to like barbados like that was another thing they did is they sold them into slavery in the west indies and stuff like that like that's a that's a different vibe you know even for your kind of average yeoman settler like farmer person in america that has like that isn't totally balling out, but just has like a little bit of land. Like if they're, if they're that old, one of those old Yankees, like, I don't know, like the odds are that they, you know, literally had blood on their hands. But then at the same time, like this country's a city on a hill and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's bringing civilization. There, there's like a very bloody contradiction at the heart of the whole project and stuff. And like Europeans sort of had to get inducted into that, uh, like skull and bone society, if you will, like when they came to America. And nowadays it's like very occulted and like sublimated. So, you know, anybody that came here in like the 20th century or later, like their families, their ancestors, like weren't around for any of this shit. And they just moved to like, you know, Tucson or whatever. And like, mm -hmm. you just don't really even learn about like what was here before it was Tucson and things like that. And, yeah, uh, or you it just get gets like kind of a propagandized idea of it, like cowboys and Indians, you know, yeah. like Hollywood did its part, it. you know, it, yeah. like kind of psyoping everybody. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. And that goes back a ways to like, you know, the like Corpus Christi pageants and stuff, you know, created knowledge for people about Native Americans like very early on. And so I'm sure like, you know, there are other modes of disseminating information about them. And like know. the weird fixation of early colonial people with like dressing up as Indians, like the Boston Tea Party and like that order yeah, of that like also the red goes men back and really shit. Far. Yeah, that goes mm -hmm. back really far. They had like whole, I mean, the Skin Spanish walking, had whole pageants of like Moros and Cristianos, which is a little bit different, but like they would celebrate them like in, you know, their colonies, like in, you know, Central and South America where they, you know, would have like the Aztecs play moors you know play muslims mm. and they would sort of reenact like reconquista type dramas and God. yeah it's like a weird like there's there's like a weird conflation but this is like part of the reason why 
you know, there are all these sort of theories about like early Muslim contact in North in, uh, you know, uh, North and South America is uh, because like, I mean, is there some truth to it? Does the is the Oak Island treasure uh, from Mali? Maybe. But something that's contributed to these ideas is that Spaniards like saw everything through the lens of like their familiarity with like, you know, their genocidal campaign against Muslims. So uh, okay. like when they saw like Andalusia. structures, they would be like, oh, a mosque, you know, and stuff like that, you know, like they would say oh, a mesquite. Or, I mean, know, like, I want to believe I want to believe that all kinds of people like sailed to the Americas like since antiquity and somehow it just kind of got lost in the sauce. But I'm like some people had to. Yeah. Like the Mali Empire, maybe the Phoenicians, you know, like I mean, some of the Vikings did come over here did, for a little yeah. while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, they didn't realize that like they were lactose intolerant or they gave them milk. There was some under- misunderstanding, probably, you know, for the better. Um, but but yeah, no, I want to believe that kind of shit that's fan you know like kind of like why not like there's a long time of uh civilizations rising and falling you know on the american continent so i'm realizing that the the ancient uh puebloans uh were known as the uh, anasazi which are like there's an x-files episode about them where they have some kind of like alien knowledge <laughs> right i think it's i think it's like a you know they don't like to be called this uh, now but i guess the navajo called them this it means ancient enemies and so that term was used for sort of uh, an, the ancestral uh puebloans um uh, you remember know lots of giant pilled you know, cultures in the American. Oh West, yeah, giant being right? giant pilled is uh, pretty ubiquitous. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, so what's pro- up? What's generally up with speaking. That? Yeah. yeah, I guess it was uh, not Angkor Wat per se, because I think that you know maybe it kind of fell into disrepair a little bit, but uh, I think it did stay like continually in use. But it was the Khmer Empire I was thinking of that like oh. possibly was partially felled by like ecological problems you know, with their aquifers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, and like the 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 last big ice age, you know, like humans were starting. Yeah. We the, think, the little like, ice age. Um, yeah. The little ice age. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and like the, the migration, like across the Bering Strait, which now I think they dispute now, like that might've actually happened a lot earlier than mm-hmm. people thought it did or something like that. they used to say like, Oh, it happened like 10,000, 12,000 years ago or something. But now, yeah. you know, they say know, the little ice still age brought down the Ottoman empire sometimes. Oh, oh, actually, no, I meant the Big Ice Age, actually. I oh, meant, like, the, the 12,000 years ago. Yeah, not oh, the one okay. in, like, the 1500s or whatever, but, uh, but right, yeah, okay. yeah, the one, like, right. 12,000 years ago. Right, you said the last Big Ice Age, and I was Sorry, yeah, the last, last great age, one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. I think they just, didn't they just find, like, a skeleton that was, like, you know, with, like, tools and shit that was way older than anyone they had found before, and there's a lot we still don't know. What's up with those Denisovan people? Who are they? I don't know. You know, yeah, where, I don't know the, where was the great Neanderthal <laughs> um, civilization? Like, were there more races? We don't know.
sollte Erklärung Ich rauch ein Tibet und pässe mein Dämon Ich grüß Peter Fox, ich will immer aus am See wohnen Ich bin mein Chef, ich brauch keine Vertretung Du machst Musik durch, ich fühl Placebo Baby, unser Liebe, die ist anders Und ich zieh keine andere in Erwägung Wir sind jung, wir haben Zeiger, das rund um die Uhr All meine Freunde gehen mit mir auf Tour Ja, ich rauch laut und ich hab keine Ruhe Tats auf meinem Body, die Jogger will nur Pueblo ist blau, unsere Papers sind weiß Dein Blick ist so kalt und mein Handy läuft heiß Und das Interface und Ableton live Ich grüße meine Fans, ja, ich leb euch voll live Da kenn ich mein Ego Ja, du schaust gut aus, wir rauchen Pueblo Bitte pass mir mal vor, Ego Ich bin weit weg und ich hör deine Memos Deine Loves, mein Serum Früher häng ich nur Erwährung Ich bin in Tokio, wechsel Währung Und wenn ich sterbe, hören sie meine Demos Ey, bitte kenn ich mein Ego Ja, du schaust gut aus, wir rauchen Pueblo Bitte pass mir mal vor, Ego Ich bin weit weg und ich hör deine Memos Deine Loves, mein Serum Früher häng ich nur Erwährung Ich bin in Tokio, wechsel Währung Und wenn ich sterbe, hören sie meine Demos ja. But speaking of uh, intelligent races that are lost in the mist of time or whatever, oh, uh, yeah. little, should I read number three? Yeah. Okay. So Young Haller asked on December 5th, 2021, what are the cephalopods up to? I mean, they are hmm. highly intelligent. Very uh, smart. Yeah, they can be crafty. Uh, an octopus at a, an aquarium I went to was known for, um, I heard that it was, it was uh, some guide or something mentioned that it would like leave its tank. It found like a way out of its tank and it would eat fish and other tanks and it would co- go back and like pretend it didn't do it, but it was like caught in the security cameras. Oh my um, God. Like, but like when people weren't watching, it would like sneak out and eat fish and then it would come back like, what? I didn't do anything. Um, they're very smart. Yeah, they're very you know. smart. Yeah. I think, you know what? I, I remember actually some... like, I think I might've recommended this book in the grotto like a way, way back. So maybe some people, you know, miss that or um, have forgotten by now, but it's called Other Minds. And it goes like deeply into cephalopods and like their intelligence and yeah, the sort of comparison between uh, human intelligence and an octopus intelligence and the differences, you know, they live for a short time. So it's like kind of, I remember reading that, that, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe this is too spicy of a claim, but somebody said like, you know, they would be the apex predators of the entire ocean if they didn't live for like, I think a cuttlefish lives for like three years. But they're incredibly smart, and they can shapeshift. Yeah, they can really shapeshift. Like they can, and they can like hypnotize. They can like MK their they prey. Can MK like their prey. seen yeah. the video where they just start doing like a strobe light thing, like in front of a fish, and like <laughs> yeah. disoriented. Yeah, so like, they have what MK the fuck? Yeah, um, they do. They do. Yeah, those cuttlefishes. Like you got to watch out. But you know they're tiny, and yeah, they die after three years. And I think squids are kind of the same way. So if they lived as long as like a whale or something. Or, you know, I don't know, even great white sharks live for a long time, right? Then mm-hmm. who knows? Like, they, maybe there would be a wise, like, cephalopod civilization under the sea or something. And they'd have little coral cities or something like that. But as it stands, they kind of die off too quickly for that, right? Yeah. Like, they, they can't organize a guerrilla war campaign like the orcas because the orcas yeah, live for, like, 80 I don't know years. If and they, they can would teach their children stuff. Yeah, like, I mean... I guess there is, like, a concept of, like, warfare or rivalry among... There actually is, like, a concept like that. Or they can do it, because they can, like, fight with other pods, I believe. They definitely have, like, the, you know, basically the full range of, like, emotions and, like, kind of social behavior that we have, more or less. It's just a little bit different, because, obviously, they don't have hands. And, as we said in our dolphin episode, 
like the the way that we interact with the world like the fact that we have hands uh as evinced by the heideggerian concept of readiness to hand um <laughs> is so like determinative of like how our intelligence how, how we even apply like uh, understand intelligence and how our intelligence operates you know like what we consider to how, how we assess the intelligence of others and also like you know uh how we yeah and of our own selves i guess assess our, our own intelligence and the intelligence of others is so influenced by the fact that like you know we have these grabbing appendages that like we use to manipulate objects like in a different way dolphins do That's use true. tools and do that as well but it's much more like i think kind of determinative of our way of being in the world um you know where uh cetaceans are more kind of like they're not they don't prioritize kind of like building or or tool use we are say. builder like about chilling monkeys, and like yeah. having sex and playing <laughs> Yeah, Which, no, that's you know, we also like those things, point. but we just have different ways, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why the, the mermaid kind of myth is like alluring to people because you get to like the freedom of being at least half kind of cetacean. Like how you're really half dolphin more than half fish. Is the appeal of the mermaid myth that people want to be mermaids? Or fall in love with the mermaid? Either way, I think uh, both. Yeah, I guess. I feel like there might be something like allegorical about falling in love with a mermaid where it's like kind of like, you know, the sort of lure of the sea or something, you know, just uh, sailors being kind of beguiled by illusions out on the ocean and crashing kind of yeah. like the siren stuff is basically the well, mermaid What about thing. those, what about those big squids that, you know, according to like sailor legend were always cracking? They're ships. real. Yeah. Colossal okay. squid. They're basically real. I mean, they're not like actually like the size of krakens. Kind of like they're close and they were thought to be mythical for a long time. But mm -hmm. they actually, like, are, have been, like, confirmed to exist. There's, like, very, very few, like, videos or, like, documentation of them. But they have, like, been a confirmed real thing. They're, like, colossal squid. That's what they're called. Sperm whales eat them. I think they're the main source of food for sperm whales. And, <laughs> Look uh, at the pictures. They're so big in, in like, the old, like, yeah, lithographs. Yeah, they're giant. Of <laughs> so, like, basically, this probably could, like, attack or, like, cause a lot of stress for, like, someone in, like, an early sailing vessel, you know, like, if they encountered one, like, close to their ship. Um, I guess they're the, always said to be off the coast of Norway. Krakens or colossal Yeah, squid? Krakens. I'm looking at Krakens right now. I feel like kind Krakens of annoyed by this. lots of different places, right? Like, they could be... I know. This Wikipedia article is kind of annoying, though, because it's like, Kraken, parentheses, legend. And it's like, okay, yeah, but, like, what about the real Kraken? And it, like, doesn't really say. It just talks about the fake Krakens. I don't know. Unless they go by a legendary sea monster. Well, the colossal squid is basically, like, the real Kraken. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe if I type yeah. in colossal Yeah, if you type in colossal squid. squid, you'll find, like, the basically, what is the real Kraken? They're not as impressive as... The Kraken that you see in like these wood cuts where it's like oh, taking they down are. an entire ship, but they are huge. Okay, that's pretty fucking big. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at one right now. More yeah, or that, less. Yeah. That is a big squid. It looks like it's like 20 feet long or something. It looks like it could, it could easily eat a human. Yeah. It could like, definitely um, eat a human. They have been observed at sizes, uh, their eggs have been observed at sizes ranging from uh, 3.2 times 2.1 millimeters. Um, what's like the longest colossal squid, uh, that's ever been like documented? Uh, the largest weighed, uh, 495 feet. kilograms. Well, 33 feet. That's big. Mm hmm. You know, I'm it saying. has the largest eyes of any known creature ever to exist with a diameter of 11 inches. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's big, but you know, could it kind of 
overtake an entire big ship probably not but a small boat it, it might be able to fuck with a small i mean boat. i could see it like menacing and uh like you know i think that they usually don't come so close to the the surface uh they're usually like pretty deep dwelling creatures but i feel like you know it could definitely menace or at least cause like distress for someone in a boat like if they saw one they would be like oh shit you know like that would be scary um mm -hmm. and they would mm -hmm. say that they saw a kraken and it would be like a pretty reasonable statement <laughs> like, yeah I, you know. I'd, I'd be pretty scared um, there's also but, the giant squid which is a little they're a deep ocean dwelling squid it's a little bit different and they're uh hmm they're estimated well actually the females are bigger they can be up to 43 feet long mm -hmm. longer than the colossal squid but they're also a lot lighter uh because they're like mostly tentacle they're like more tentacle than body or uh whatever mantle i guess yeah the main part of the body all so right so this is also... the longest by length and the mm -hmm. colossal squid is the biggest by mass so i yeah. guess you know it depends on how you assess your kraken like do you care about the mass or do you care about the length uh i'm looking yeah. at the beak right now somebody holding it in it's like uh, it's giving goatsy. I don't. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. But you okay. could definitely lose a. Hand, you could definitely lose a hand in there. I don't know if it can like dilate and eat an entire person. But I mean, yeah, we got definitely be, eat a hand. I mean, could even a kraken eat a person? I guess the, that's the idea. Yeah, Maybe? they do get eaten know. by sperm whales. Yeah, they do. It's how like they're one of their biggest sources of. How long do they food? live? They reach sexual maturity at three years old. Find where I it feel says. like the ancient Greeks had like their own version of a kraken, like Skilin, yeah, Pliny, uh, Aristotle, Pliny the Elder, uh, or uh, he was Roman, I, I guess I forget. Yeah, he was Roman, but Aristotle, I guess, described a large squid which he called oh, Tuthus, yeah. distinguishing it from. Uh, he says uh, he mentions of the cal of the calamaries, the calamaries, mm -hmm. the so-called Tuthus is much bigger than the Tuthis, for two or two calamaries, I, I guess calamari. Right. Oh, calam oh, the calamari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. The fact yeah. that it had an E in there threw me off. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, he was talking about how big they were. Yeah, Pliny the Elder. There's 700 Pliny, known. Is it 20? You know, while I'm correcting your pronunciation, I believe it's a Pliny. That's what people usually say. Oh, whatever. Pliny. <laughs> okay. Okay. Whatever. Um, well, Pliny. you know, I got to get mine in when I That's when fine. I can. That's fine. Um, um, yeah. yeah, so they're pretty big. I mean, what are they up to? Like I said, I think they don't have, they don't seem to have time to be up to very much um, because they don't live that long. Apparently, they are being looked at right now to develop like military technology. I, I caught a headline of something talking about, you know, trying to derive like something from uh, maybe from cuttlefish or from squids uh, to help with like organic camouflage like shape-shifting color kind of things let me see if i can find that didn't sophie lewis uh, your favorite have like our a viral post back in the day about like octopuses being queer or something oh yeah um, she had my octopus lover yeah my octopus lover was like a movie right um mm -hmm. and she, yeah like, oh sorry an yeah but she was championing it one. i think um, yeah i, I think and my octopus teacher and she my octopus teacher, it was called sorry. my octopus teacher because that was the movie yeah okay. i got confused too i thought it, but and then she made it into my octopus girlfriend that exactly she loved the idea strange. of falling yeah. in love with an octopus although she's not um, the first person to come up with that because isn't there like the dream of the fisherman's wife you know that famous painting i've heard of that but i, I don't think i've ever seen it it's like basically the original tentacle porn kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah 
It's a woodblock printed design by Japanese artist Hokusai. It is included in Kinoe no Komatsu. Uh, again, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing this right. Young Pines, a three-volume book of Shunga erotica, first published in 1814. So it was originally erotica, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But this is by the same guy who did that famous wave painting, the Great Wave off Kanagawa. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... I, I think I, um, yeah, so this is actually by a pretty uh, pretty famous artist. And the painting itself is, you know... It was in Mad Men. That's right. Played a role in Mad Men. Yeah, so... Uh, Here, check out... check out what I put, person to think of that. Uh, sorry. I just <laughs> put in the chat, I found an article from ZDNet from 2020. Cuttlefish-inspired smart camouflage could make for sneakier soldiers. The U.S. Army has mm. pondered the development of camouflage that mimics how cephalopods rapidly change their color and patterning. They call it signature management. <laughs> mm. Okay, yeah, they've been... Mm-hmm, for some time, engineers have been experimenting with robotic tentacles modeled on the octopus. Right. Now they're being inspired by their camouflage. Uh, cuttlefish's skin is studded with sacs full of pigment called chromatophores, each one surrounded by 18 to 30 muscle fibers that can rapidly change how much pigment is exposed. It also seems that the skin is somehow smart, and can, in some circumstances, work independently from the animal's brain. Whoa. I mean, the hmm. way that, like, isn't it true that, like, if you cut off, like, an octopus's tentacle, it will keep, like, moving, like, independently on its own? It won't, like, regrow another hmm. octopus like starfish do, but it will, like, it has its, oh. it, it will, like, move on its own. Um, um, maybe. I haven't seen that, but, yeah, no, um, that I guess that's the... Wow. Yeah, cuttlefish. Because they have like, like a skin. distributed nervous system, right? I'm looking it up to make sure that's true. Octopuses sucker covers arms can act as if they contain partly independent mini brains. Each arm gathers sensory information to drive its own movement and even those of other arms without consulting major brain regions. So yeah, wow. they have like a distributed system of intelligence. Yeah, um, so this uh so this cuttlefish camouflage, the potential military applications of such technology were discussed at a workshop called Bio-Inspired Signature Management for the U.S. Army, convened by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. While the workshop was held in September 2019, the in-brief proceedings were published last week. It's a fascinating read. Participants discussed the possibility of smart skin fabrics that would include light sensors that could enable, quote, adaptive optoelectronic camouflage systems inspired by cephalopod skins. The fabric wouldn't have to be smart enough to exactly match its surroundings. Disruptive dazzle patterns could be more effective than background matching, particularly against edge edge detection algorithms. Dazzle markings make estimates of speed and trajectory difficult. Yeah, they used to do that with ships. Yeah, the dazzle camouflage. The Olympic was in dazzle camouflage at one point. Really? The Titanic sister ship, yeah. Oh, during like World War I? Yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Because it, yeah, mm. they, you know, wasn't as sophisticated as like this kind of uh, what do you call it, um, Camellio type stuff. But yeah, um, cam- I, I was thinking about Camellio here. Yeah, I mean, they, hmm. it really should be called like oct- Octopuso or something because it's yeah, like they're really impressive. Like, have you ever seen a video of an octopus like camouflaging itself? It's more impressive than a chameleon, honestly. Um, I mean, I've seen I've seen cuttlefish do it, and probably squids too. But yeah, it's like that, like t- not not just changing color. But they changing, like, like totally, their texture. Well, it seems like they do. I don't think they... Well, yeah, they, they obviously can kind of basically shapeshift. But, yeah, like, with... Because you can obviously suggest different textures through different color patterns and stuff like that, which I think is, like, what it mostly is. But, yeah, they can also kind of really move their bodies, like, move their skin a lot. So it's crazy. Well, I remember seeing a cuttlefish that, that kind of landed on a patch of coral 
and then kind of turned into like this crinkly, dry, yeah, like, coral yeah. thing. Octopus you know, is like do the same thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. No, they are always like sort of disguising themselves as like coral, and they really blend in. It's truly amazing. Yeah, yeah maybe that's the inspiration for Crypto Cuttlefish's uh, moniker. Um, I'm pretty sure it is actually. Crypto Cuttlefish used to post photos of Dazzle camouflage battleships, either referring to like Esalen Institute people or like dirtbag leftists. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the two is like, this is what they're doing. Like Dazzle. And I was like, oh shit, I'd never seen that before. But no, I think I, I, I think the uh, the thrust behind the Crypto Cuttlefish moniker is like the kind of shape shifting. And yeah, they can, they uh, really, and they can aspect. also MK like as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's I a lot for Joe people. I just a clip of him going on about it. Cuttlefish have less textural changes according to his guest. They're more color based. Hmm. Uh, he saw a video of an octopus trying to mimic a chessboard. So that's interesting. Fuck? Wow. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, wow. they're shifty. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're tactical, they're operators for sure. Very, uh, uh, and the military wants that's a piece That's definitely of that. one of those animals that people say, like, did they, it's, I think we got a question for that about, like, fungus uh, at one point. Like, did they come from space? Like, people say that about octopodes, which I guess is the, maybe the proper plural, but, uh, or octopuses. And octopuses, yeah. Yeah. They do have kind of big gray heads. Like, I'm looking at one right now, an octopus vulgaris, and, like, from a certain angle, it kind of has, like, a lamb, like, a big, like, this big brain, and, like, kind of not quite human eyes but definitely like big eyes and stuff and then yeah. is like a lovecraft monster oh yeah aside from that definitely lovecraft was like creeped out by cephalopods and basically that inspired his entire move yeah yeah um, i mean they're they do look like spooky like monsters or space aliens or something like that probably more than any other kind of very intelligent animal like by our standards at least yeah, interesting. So yeah, not sure what they're like up to, but maybe we shouldn't <laughs> piss them off, you know, or else we'll end up in like an orca situation. Yeah, I mean, humans killed by cephalopods. <laughs> Estimates of the number of recorded fatalities caused by blue-ringed octopuses vary. So, blue-ringed octopuses have killed people because they're toxic. I think oh, uh, the most venom, one of the most venomous animals known. The venom of one is enough to kill 10 humans. He uses the neurotoxin tetrodoxotin. Hamilton Morris would be like, let me try some of that. <laughs> Which quickly causes respiratory arrest. Most scholars agree there have been 11 deaths. There's a lot of artistic illustrations of giant squid attacks here. They have suction fo uh, forces in their tentacles. Giant squid and colossal squid have suction forces of more than 800 kilopascals, roughly 100 pounds per square inch, with pointed teeth at the tip of their, of their tentacles. Really? Oh, I didn't know they had pointed teeth. Yikes. Well, that's according to Wikipedia. <laughs> so uh, I assume that's... that is that is true. Um, it seems like something that would be true. Yeah. You know, to help you really grab on. Alfred Brame, uh, one of the most significant naturalists of the 19th century, in the section on the giant squid in his famous book, Life of Animals, he mentions most of the data on these giant octopuses can be found in Montfort's book, The Natural History of Mollusks. There is talk of a sea monster grabbing the mast of a ship off the coast of Angola with its arms and almost pulling the ship down into the abyss on the occasion of which the lucky crew painted this great dagger in a vow in a chapel of uh, St. Thomas of Mallow. Oh, sorry, painted this great danger, not this great dagger. I don't know why I saw that as a G. Um, so they, they painted the danger in a vow in the chapel of St. Thomas of Mallow. 
Uh, he further talks about another creature in the wake of Montfort, Captain Dens. It pulled some uh, sailors off the ship's rack with its arms near St. Leona, uh, the end of one arm, which was stuck in the rigging of the ship and which had been cut off, proved to be 25 feet long and had several rows of suction discs on it. Wow. Whoa. All right. Spooky. So. Yeah, they seem to avoid humans, though, unless they get caught up in a ship or something. Yeah. Like, they don't Gen seem to really come after rare. us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, hippos yeah. probably kill a lot more people. Definitely. Elephants. Like, elephant revenge is real. But, yeah. Oh, once there was a cuttlefish who didn't know how to swim. And all the other cuttlefish would laugh and point at him. And though it hurt his feelings, he never once complained. He just sat there underneath the water waiting for a train. See him waiting for a train, waiting for a train. Sitting on a seashell in his little hat and cane With his umbrella opened up to keep off the rain There sat the cuttlefish waiting for a train His father said he could swim if he would only try His mother said he can't swim, the water gets in his eyes His grandpa said he's got to swim, it goes against the grain to see a fish sitting like this waiting for a train his teacher said he's been trained to swim but he don't give a hoot his sister said he's ashamed to swim he's got no swimming suit his brother said who cares if he swims it's giving me a pain to see a fish sitting like this waiting for a train he keeps waiting for a train waiting for a train Sitting on his seashell in his little hat and cane With his umbrella opened up to keep off the rain There sits the cuttlefish waiting for a train His friends all said, come on and swim, come on and swim with us It isn't right for a fish to ride a plane or a train or a bus Why must you be so different? It's driving us insane To see a fish sitting like this Waiting for a train Then up spoke the kingfish Said, man, you must be dumb You're waiting around for something That ain't never gonna come You must believe in fairy tales Or else you lost your brain You're a muddled fish, a befuddled fish For waiting for a train Then all of a sudden All the fishes down below They heard an engine chugging And they heard a whistle blow and they heard a voice yell, all aboard, and a cowbell clang, and there goes the cuttlefish waving from the train. See him waving from the train, waving from the train. See him sitting on the smokestack with his little hat and cane. See his umbrella opened up to keep off the rain. Oh, there goes the cuttlefish waving from the train. You want to move on to number four? Yeah. Uh, one final fact. In 1978, the USS Stein was attacked by a giant squid. The ship's no-foul rubber coating was damaged with multiple cuts containing evidence of claws found in squid tentacles. I'm getting excited to uh, do uh, Sea Monsters uh, Part 2 uh, one of these days. Yeah, All the right. Soviet squid. Yeah, the, so the Soviet <laughs> squid, yeah. 
All right. Uh, it's like okay. the rock apes. Yeah. So, uh, number four, uh, SR asks on uh, December 5th, 2021, forgive me if it's been asked already as I'm new here. Uh, have you guys thought about looking into the Turpin family case from a few years back? California, family of kids locked away by parents for years. Dad worked for Lockheed, Northrop Gumman, and General Dynamics. Seemed to remember something about him suffering headaches somewhere, too, but I could be misremembering. Mother allegedly sold to wealthy sickos by grandma, according to her sister, and that she also practiced witchcraft? <laughs> they look, uh, they both look thoroughly vacant in their mugshots. MK? Question mark. Sus, to say the least. Anyways, I was just talking about it with a friend and thought it would be good grotto fodder. Yeah, it does sound like it. That's a crazy story. I actually never heard of that before. Have you heard of you this? You never heard of this story? I don't think so. Maybe I, I have and like, you know, forgotten it or I'm not recognizing. Um, I feel like you would have you would have probably seen it in passing at the time. It was I think oh, 2008. Oh, recently. I say. It was in yeah, 20 I, I sorry, 2018. His, I recognize these mugshots as I'm looking at them. Like he has a the guy with the weird John Fogerty haircut. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. they do look MK like some time ago. Um, but yeah. there was another one, too, in, I think, the Bay Area. I want to say it was in Antioch, which is like a kind of far like an exurb in the East Bay. And I think there was another like husband and wife that had basically children imprisoned like in a little, you know, shack in their backyard for years and then they escaped. And that, that either happened like a little before this case or a little after this case. But this did get a, a lot of, and, and there was like some true crime, like documentary series, things right that, that came yeah. out uh, mm -hmm. after it. I remember watching at least one of them. And I mean, in general, it's just like very disturbing and incredibly bizarre. And I remember seeing that they were like big Disney adults. Like, I think they took all these kids to like Disneyland a lot. Huh. And okay. there were like creepy pictures of all of them at like Disneyland. And it is true that he, he was a computer engineer, uh, David Turpin, who it says just on the Wikipedia, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, but I guess also General Dynamics. What the fuck? Grandparents say God called on Paris couple to have so many children. Okay, so they were Pentecostal Christians, and as part of their beliefs, the couple had numerous children because, quote, God called on them to do so. They produced 10 daughters and three sons between 1988 and 2015. The couple later experimented in swinging. So you can be a Christian, you know, and still be a swinger. They lived in Fort Worth until 1999, and they moved to Rio Vista, which I believe is in, uh, that's also in Texas, and in 2007, the Turpin parents moved 10 of their children into an isolated trailer on their property. David and Louise took the two youngest and left the rest of the children to fend for themselves, bringing groceries on a weekly basis, but not enough to feed everybody. One of their daughters, Jordan Turpin, aged six years at the time, stated there was, quote, a lot of starving, and she had resorted to eating ketchup or mustard or ice. After the family left the Rio Vista property in 2010, Neighbors found feces and beds with ropes tied to them inside the house, along with dead cats and piles of garbage. Then they moved to Paris, California, in uh, Riverside County in 2014. Neighbors reported the children were silent and less spoken to, quote, like children whose only defense was to be invisible, would skip rather than walk and appeared malnourished and pale. 
One of Louise's sisters later said that David and Louise refused to let her see the children, and another sister said she had been concerned about the children's weight, but Louise's aunt said the family of pictures posted on Facebook had made her think that, quote, they were one big happy family. So I guess one of those sisters is one that said that, oh yeah, aunts of 13 captive children reveal years of secrecy and abuse. I wonder where that, I want to see where she said that the mother was abused uh, by wealthy people and that there was witchcraft going on. Because uh, that, that is something I didn't hear when this case blew up, but I would yeah, not, I guess her it would not the shock sister me. of Louise Turpin uh, claimed that she was interested in witchcraft. So it's kind of like a vague suggestion, but she, I mean, it seems like to be, have a lot to do with, like a Ouija board, but new details revealed about the Paris mother accused of torturing and abusing her 13 children suggest she may have practiced witchcraft. I mean, the Dugers also like recently had like a thing like, it's these, like these families that have a huge amount of children. Oh yeah. Them Sometimes too. like there's this weird aspect of that, you know, it's not, yeah, the swinging isn't the weirdest thing going on, but there's a lot under the surface there. But anyway, a new tell all book written by Louise Turpin's sister lists shocking details about the family's history in the book, she says uh, Louise became obsessed with witchcraft, claiming a Ouija board told her she was going to have another child. Louise's sister believes it was this obsession that could have led her sister to torture and imprison her children inside her Paris home. Uh, interesting. Erm, erm, erm. Uh, somebody who gets obsessed with dark witchcraft and Satanism never does anything bad. It's all just edgy and doesn't matter. You know, like, uh, oh, wow, yes. another one where somebody gets obsessed with a darker cult and then becomes an absolute sicko who does horrible, abusive things to other people. Funny. Funny how that um, works. Um, I will say it does seem kind of like, uh, like a titillating sort of like speculation where like, you know, and also she didn't really adduce any other. I mean, I guess I have to read her tell all. But um, yeah, yeah, I found some articles about this now. Uh, Daily Mail was all over it. Yep, claims an obsession with witchcraft and Ouija boards may have triggered horrifying abuse of her 13 children. She became obsessed with witchcraft between 2008 and 2010. Yeah, she said the Ouija board told her she'd have another baby. Flores says her sister also liked women dancing with snakes and believed, quote, snakes give you power. Typical Pentecostal belief. Um, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is where also, I mean, not to, because people would say, wait a minute, like now you're, uh, Dimitri, you're attacking Satanists, but these people were Pentecostals. And you know what? Fair enough. They are Pentecostals. And I, but I think that line can get blurry sometimes, you know, um, between. Uh, yeah. Oh, certainly. Feeling it can. the certainly spirit. It can. People who are, yeah, intensely like religious or uh, spiritual, especially like if there's like an eclecticism in their religious concept, like it can sort of, you know, bleed over into a bunch of different domains uh, that, yeah, the only sort of unifying thing is that like, it's kind of unhealthy and dangerous, especially to their children in this case, like snake handling. I mean, a lot of like more mainstream kind of uh, Pentecostals like condemn snake handling these days. But uh, it's still definitely practiced. But yeah, there's that's not satanic. That's definitely like the rationale for that is this thoroughly Christian. But you know, she believed that you know God. It's but yeah, God told Satanism her. Satanism really board. is like, you know, it's expressions of it from people from a Christian background. You know, usually like these kind of like like what you term dark occult or whatever you want to say, like these sort yeah, of yeah. Uh, you know Satanisms that emerge like that people practice they usually are heavily inflected by like the concept of evil 
uh, that is, you know, current in their in their religion or their religious practice, right? So, yeah. And, like, I'm curious to see, like, if this woman even... Because also, like, the Ouija board, even though, like, we definitely are not, like, you know, uh, Ouija board promoters, uh, having done our Ouija board episode and, uh, you know, coming down the side of, like, uh, you know, taking... Crowley's advice not to a tamper with these Ouija boards. Sure. But that doesn't necessarily, unless you made a statement, doesn't necessarily indicate uh, Satanism. Just kind of indicates that's true. Actually, it's really kind of. It sounds um, like she was. Well, it sounds like she was dabbling in intensity and fanaticism, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, maybe you could say dark occultism, maybe a little bit. Yeah, you could say it was a cult. You could even say that it was witchcraft. I mean, certainly torturing children. You know, filling your house with dead cats. You know, that is... I will say that... Evil, it, so... Um, there's a special category. Uh, I'm way more sussed out by somebody... Serial seem to have a ritualistic dimension. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm much more sussed out by people that walk around uh, professing to be, say, Christians or something like that, and then privately are super interested oh, in like, yeah. the dark occult, than, say, oh, somebody yeah. who's, like, non-religious and gets interested in the occult. Like, yeah. I think, like, the person pretending to be Christian, because that's... If you believe uh, the Christian tenets, then, you know, you believe that this stuff is evil. So then why are you doing it? Whereas, you know, somebody who just stumbles into it because they loved like heavy metal or something like might not totally might not think of it as actually it's not evil. And, you know, whatever you critique that on another level. But uh, but they don't necessarily think, you know, um, they haven't been indoctrinated with like this is dangerous and evil and like blah, blah, blah. Then why are you doing it? Like that's a little bit of a red flag. I, I, yeah, a I mean, yeah, I feel like, again, there's like a, a porosity or there's sort of blurry lines between those two things. I mean, I feel like Satanism these days, like being like, I'm a Satanist and like uh, there's not necessarily like full crossover with being a Satanist and being like a witch or a magician. Like because yeah. there's because the there's been so much, uh, you know, shit coding of Satanism or of worshiping Satan. And uh, now people are like, yeah, I'm a Satanist. I just believe in, you know, abortion rights or whatever. Like, you know, so there's a lot of people like that who are just cringe and like definitely not as sinister as like, you know, even if this person didn't play with a Ouija board and just wear Pentecostal and torture children, she'd be a million zillion times more evil than like someone who like, you know, professes to believe in Satan because they got psyoped by like some like crypto fash cult. Um, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, I mean, again, oh, you know they what? might be misguided. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, don't. Uh, I'm not all about that. Like, hail Satan, like stuff. Obviously, we've said many times, like, uh, express how 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 cringe it is. But it's certainly, uh, you know, even if these people are believing that they're Christians uh, as they do these things, um, you know, and aren't doesn't make it any less evil. Powers, that's yeah. for sure. You know, yeah. again, this is like something that I've just harped on so much, but you know people very rarely like self-identify as being evil or sickos. Like they usually believe like that their beliefs are, you know, or that their actions are motivated by some belief that they are good in some way. Um, they usually like can find them way to justify what they do. Even, totally. you know, even if it's totally mentally ill, which it probably was in this case. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that, so there's that one sister. <laughs> the Disney element is another, like, that's al- almost, like, being a Disney adult is almost susser than any uh, of their other practices. <laughs> that's actually the true red flag. Is that's, like, the most, like, occultic, twisted, evil thing about them is having two <laughs> vanity plates on their cars, one reading D-Land and the other one DL forever. That's, oh, uh, that's a red flag. Wait, right did they actually have, like, license plates that said DL forever? 
Y yes, and D-Land. They had two cars. Um, oh, my God. Oh one my was D-Land and one was DL forever. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, Jesus, that's dark. Um, Imagine, that like, they, is... those kids are being tortured, like, in Mouse in mouse Heaven, basically. Like, probably. They like, were, they, yeah, yeah. I guess maybe when they went, they got to go to Club 33 and meet Aquino. Um, but, Jesus. You, okay, so here's an interesting aspect. So the, the first sister, I think... Yeah, maybe was, that's where that's who see. gave her the Ouija board and told her to to become a SETI and was she met a Queen at Club Thirty Three. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, okay. I'd like, so maybe we can we can suss some of these things out. So I think Flora is it Elizabeth Flores, Elizabeth who is Flores, yeah, I think it's yeah. a, Elizabeth Flores was the one who came out and talked about witchcraft and Ouija board, and I guess she says in her book that I do know witchcraft is very serious and demonic. If she did get deep into that, I do think it could have led her to do what she did because you're basically selling your soul to the devil. Maybe she was the mastermind behind all of this. Maybe it wasn't David. And so you could tell right there that I think she is a Christian, right? Yeah, like for sure. she thinks witchcraft is very serious and demonic and that kind of explit that probably explains why all this horrible thing happened. Okay. So if she was also the one, because the other bit of evidence that is very disturbing is that Louise Turpin was sold by her mother to like wealthy men to like rape her when she was a kid. And um, that actually comes from her other sister, Teresa Robinette. And let me see. Okay, I have a New Zealand article that talks about this. Turpin mum, Louise, sold to pedophile, says sister Teresa Robinette. Um, the sister of the House of Horrors, mother of 13, claims their mother let a rich pedophile rape them for cash when they were children. Teresa Robinette, 37, said her mother, Phyllis Robinette, effectively, quote, sold her and Louise to a wealthy man to be frequently abused, according to the Daily Mail. He would slip money into my hand as he molested me. I can still feel his breath on my neck as he whispered, be quiet. We begged her not to take us to him, but she would simply say, I have to clothe and feed you. Louise was abused the worst. He destroyed my self-worth as a child, and I know he destroyed hers too. Robinette last month said she was shocked by the disturbing allegations against her sister and brother-in-law and had no idea the children were being abused. Robinette said she always thought of Turpin as a, quote, good girl who never drank, did drugs, or smoked, and rarely even swore. She never for a moment considered that her sister could be capable of such horrific cruelty, but did wonder why she distanced herself from her family. She said that she met the, four, the couple's four eldest children in person. The rest she only saw over video chat, and as the years went on, that even dried up. I don't know if you can say any of us had a relationship with the children, she said. Never in a million years had we thought she was abusing the kids. So that's pretty dark. That feels more relevant to all this, even than the dappling in witchcraft? Or perhaps, uh, yeah, I would say so. And um, some roundabout way maybe explains the witchcraft a little bit? I feel like... like oh, for sure. And it seems, honestly, like the witchcraft stuff was like having some like Llewellyn books a Ouija board, which is, like, a game that, like, is made by, like, a major, like, game company. Like, you can buy in Barnes & Noble. And know? going to snake handling festivals, which, which, is, may, yeah, which not, may or may not have been Pentecostal. Yeah, you can describe that as being uh, a cult, maybe, or esoteric and something, but not really. Charismatic, uh, yeah, I'd say, is better designation. I wouldn't say that that's, uh, you know, witchcraft uh, to the point where, like, this is a salient feature of this whole thing. Um, it seems like, you know, typical, like, 
a very common thing for someone to have like what would be considered by like someone who grew up in like apparently very abusive Pentecostal household mm -hmm. uh, to be witchcraft, like, you know, a, a witchcraft book, like anything to do with astrology, probably, you know, would fall under it's that designation. Considered so, demonic, yeah, right? I would say that that is probably not definitely definitely not the salient aspect of this. But I found the obituary. It's of definitely her mother. A, uh, a disgusting story. Um, yeah. Phyllis Robinette of Princeton, West Virginia, passed away in February 2016 before all this came out. So, so it lists that she is survived by her children, Lewis, parentheses, David Turpin of California, and the other sisters and a few others. She was born in 1950, had been a lifelong resident of Princeton, was a former clerk at Walmart in Bluefield, Virginia. Um, she attended Athens High School and Athens Church of God, where she loved to sing. I wonder if that's Pentecostal. Let me see. Athens Church of God. Oh, there's, a, there's a few of these, actually, around the South. Princeton, West Virginia. Yeah, no, it's there. Uh, it still exists. I don't know if it's... Uh, it's not wearing its denomination on its sleeve, necessarily. But either way, um, very disturbing. Yeah, it's also very sad that some of the children were abused once they were in the foster system. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah, five of the younger children were adopted by an abusive family who further tormented them. It's incredibly oh sad. God. Yeah, so, oh yeah, I see here, Inside the Creepy Disney Vacations Taken by California's Turpin Family. Going back for a second, because the grandparents, remember, they said something weird, where they're like, oh, God told them to... Now, this is actually Turpin's parents, who are also from West Virginia. The parents of David Turpin told ABC News they are surprised and shocked at the allegations against their son and daughter-in-law. James and Betty Turpin, who live in West Virginia, said David and Louise had so many children because, quote, God called on them. They were given very strict homeschooling and would memorize long passages in the Bible, the grandparents said. Some children tried to memorize it in its entirety. While David and Louise were in the Pentecostal faith, they did not have a church in the area, and David's parents knew of no friends that the couple had. The last time the grandparents visited California, about four or five years ago, they thought the children seemed thin, but they appeared to be a, quote, happy family. They said David Turpin was a computer engineer who had graduated from Virginia Tech Ah, here we go. And had previously worked for General Dynamics in Texas. Neighbors say they rarely saw children outside the home, and they were stunned to hear that 13 were living inside. So they, they were religiously Pentecostal, but they didn't even go to church because they were so reclusive, it sounds like. But General, that's a big three. Unless, like she went to three. snake handling events. It sounds like there was um, maybe there a specific was no festival. In their area. Yeah, I don't know, some kind of group or like, I mean... It, it could have been just like the idea of it, like snakes give you power. She read in some book. I don't know. Once again, with the oh, the weird overlaps between like the aerospace industry and being obsessed with Disney, like this guy works for like three of the biggest defense contractors, and then he's like obsessed with Disneyland. I feel like that's a very it's a very southern, very Orange County, very Southern California, um, or Sun Belt, I guess if you will. They're both in jail now, right? For ever yes well, i don't know if the mm. the wife will be in jail forever the the man probably will be in jail forever because she didn't oh, get like a sexual it. abuse charge but i mean it's it's possible she'll be in jail forever too but they both pleaded guilty on 14 felony counts um they were sentenced wow. to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 25 years both so, of them were yeah they both were so but i mean i feel like it's unlikely he'll get parole but i don't know 
Yeah, by the time they're... Yeah, he got an additional <clears throat> charge of a lewd act on a child. Bail was set at $9 million for Louise Turpin, $12 million for David Turpin. Um, he was eventually charged with perjury in relation to the affidavits he filed with the California Department of Education over the years. I mean, he did pretty well. It says... In this they will Neither will ever receive parole due to the severity of the crime, making it effectively a life sentence. So experts believe neither will ever get out. That's good. Yeah, yeah um, probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm reading from this New York Post article that in early 1990, David Turpin was transferred from Southern California to Fort Worth by General Dynamics, soon to be taken over by defense contractor Lockheed Martin. He moved Louise and their now 18-month-old daughter, Jennifer, into the fashionable Meadow Creek neighborhood. He was earning a six-figure salary in his highly specialized engineering job. Hmm. I didn't realize that General Dynamics was, maybe it was a subsidiary or something, but I'd, I didn't realize that they were taken over by Lockheed Martin. Hmm. Not the end, because like, basically General Dynamics is still around as a company. So it might have been at like a division that they spun off and sold to Lockheed Martin that he was working for maybe, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, reorganization. I'm just looking at General Dynamics right now because they've come up a little bit before oh you know what interesting this is what happened henry crown of you know big chicago silk topper um who was general dynamics largest shareholder died on august 15th 1990 following this the company started to rapidly divest its underperforming divisions under ceo william anders cessna oh they own cessna huh interesting was resold to textron in january 1992 the San Diego and Pomona missile production units to General Motors Hughes Aerospace, that's a merged company, in 1992. The Fort Worth aircraft production to Lockheed in March 1993. A nearby electronics production facility was separately sold to Israeli-based Elbit Systems, marking that company's entry into the U.S. market, and its space systems division to Martin Marietta in 1994. The remaining Convair aircraft structure unit was sold to McDonnell Douglas in 1994, and the remains of the Convair division were simply closed in 1996. Um, the GD's exit uh, from aviation was short-lived, and in 1999, the company acquired Gulfstream Aerospace. The Pomona operation was closed shortly after its sale to Hughes Aircraft. Okay, so, yeah, Gulfstream is like the jet, the private jet, like uh, Lolita Express manufacturer, right? It sounds like the Fort Worth aircraft production facility. Well, I don't know. That was closed in 1993, and, and, or it was sold to Lockheed, sorry, in 1993. So I'm not sure which like division, but it sounds like he got sort of shift around, shifted around after Henry Crown died, and they like reconsolidated. So I don't know exactly what he worked on, basically, if he was working on planes or tanks or something like that but kind of had their hands in everything general dynamics i don't know if that has any it's kind of like what's his name steven paddock working for lockheed as well you know like does that have some connection or significance in the context of what he did i'm not sure but it is interesting but this guy also sounds like a legit kind of engineer you know, working, getting six figures. I don't know how he became such a sicko. I don't know if he has a story of like, I don't know, being traumatized or something like that. Or if his, his Pentecostal church he was raised in was like sus. I don't know. Uh, they gambled a lot in Louisiana. 
Yeah, I apparently guess. that was one of the first signs, according to the sister, that she started to gamble and stuff. Interesting. Yeah, so one of the kids, Jennifer, started second grade. Uh, her high, In 1997, her hygiene had deteriorated. Uh, she smelled just like dirty clothes and urine, recalled classmate Jessica Bermejo. Jennifer also began exhibiting disturbing behavior in front of her classmates. She was talking about things that could indicate sexual abuse, things that were inappropriate for that age. Jared Dana remembers a teacher sending Jennifer to the principal's office for rubbing her pubic area, but apparently no action was ever taken to investigate if there was a problem at home. And the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services have no record of the Turpins. Damn. So they were having financial problems in 1998 because they were gambling so much. So Elizabeth called her sister, and Louise boasted that she was maxing out all her credit cards to buy as much as she could before they were declined. She proudly announced they were about to file for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. The bank was foreclosing on their Roddy Drive house. The next spring, without any explanation, Jennifer stopped coming to Meadow Creek Elementary. She would never return to public school. None of the other Turpin children would ever see the inside of a classroom, as their father has had decided to homeschool them. Oh, my God. I don't know why. It, the, there's something so weird about, like, the the grossness of the house and how there's, like, poo smeared everywhere. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, like, having, like, like, decomposing bodies in his apartment that everyone yeah. else would notice and or be like, like, what the fuck? hardcore hoarder situation with all the dead animals and stuff. Yeah. Like, what is, what is the psychological mechanism there that... We have this association, I feel like, because, like, horror movies and stuff, but it is real. Like, yeah. people that are in this, like, sicko mode just love, like, living in filth and, like, disgusting darkness, like, stench, like, death. They want to be, like, surrounded by, like, death at all times. Well, I mean, it, another another possibility is that, like they're not like deliberately smearing feces on the wall well i mean maybe in this case can't really i don't really know for sure however it definitely thinks some people who like live in filth and squalor like it's because like they're there's something wrong with them you know like they're not like functional people like they just live to like murder people and like they're totally fixed like think about how insane you had to be to be like a serial killer like jeffrey dahmer you know that's true. like that's true the, i think part for part of the same reason why you're like you know, such an antisocial person that, like, you don't view other people as human beings and, like, try to, like, zombify people, like, by giving them, like, DIY lobotomies uh, so that you can, like, have yeah. slaves in hell. You know, it also makes sense that you wouldn't have, like, the executive function to, like, keep your house in order and you would, like, descend into squalor and filth and, like, have shit, like, you know, be peeing in a bottle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that, that does make sense. It does track, basically. Yeah. I feel like I heard a story about, like, some person who like you know was otherwise relatively normal and was just like peeing in a bottle for some reason like hey there's people like that you know like they just i don't know it does happen it does happen it's weird it's weird oh my god they they do look so mk'd in their their mug shots like they're not sorry at all like there's a real like scary confidence like in their photos like louise turpin is cracking a little like mona lisa smile with like MK eyes, like what the fuck? Pretty dark stuff. And it was one of these cases too, where like somebody definitely should have like noticed like way before one of the kids, I guess snuck out and like made a phone call and alerted the authorities. They weren't even hiding it particularly like that well. There were tons of red flags everywhere. And 
It's, uh, it's a shame. My God, they look so happy at Disneyland. I'm looking at this photo. They really love it. <laughs> they love it. Oof. They do love it. They're in mouse heaven. Well, they're going to probably go to mouse hell. Uh, but <laughs> They're definitely going to mouse hell. They're going to mouse hell. They're going to mouse hell in a bucket. Here, but I feel confident saying they're going to mouse hell. This song is dedicated to everyone.